underweighting the resilience of our there i'm gonna start it right there listeners auditory mechanisms yeah i i um we started the show okay i stopped it i went back because i bumped the mic stand it would hurt our listeners ears you say maybe not our listeners are more resilient than i give them credit for i just think the word hurt is very like to hurt someone's ears it's like a physical thing Hmm. and i just don't think a little bump sound would hurt their ears you never say this is hurting my ears well, so for, I've certainly said that before, I'm a sh- and I'm quite sure I've said it in your company because you might have chosen some music <laughs> that I would be listening to, which would which would be causing me pain. I I don't uh, listen to music that causes pain. <clears throat> so, anywho, mm-hmm. hi, welcome back. It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah. We, I, so one question is: is this is this show now called Oral Argument Second? on the theory that we've started like a new series, sort of like the green bag. Like it went into, uh, it went into abeyance for several decades <laughs> and then it was restarted as green bag second. It's funny you so mentioned we could that. Start, this could be oral argument second it, and this is episode zero. It's so funny you mentioned that. I was thinking along similar lines earlier today. Mm, cool. Um, as I was thinking about, you know, the fact that we're going to record today and I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, that, the recording thing, you know, how do I do all that? Um, no, <laughs> I, I remember how to do it, but um, it comes back to you. This is actually, this is, this is episode 199 of the Oral Argument program. Okay. Um, but there's an episode zero. There's an episode zero. So this is actually our 200th recording. Which is different from being episode 199. Yeah, it is. Because there's an episode zero. Yeah, best not to think too hard about it. But given that this is our 200th episode, the next one will be our 201st. Yes. It will be entitled episode 200. Yes. And so it seems like that's season two. We should have 100 episodes per season. Oh, And so every season lasts roughly eight or nine years. Okay. Somewhere thereabouts. This one's six years, right? This is... Well, I mean... Six years this December. I I don't know. I mean, it's roughly, yes, since we started. But for season two, which runs from episode 100 to 199. Hold on. What? For season one. Oh, I'm thinking season zero. There has to be a season zero. Oh, my. That's episode zero. Season zero began with episode zero and ran through episode ninety nine. Oh, episode ninety nine. Season one ran from episode one hundred to episode one ninety nine. We did not mark the passing of the seasons uh, up until now. So I'm thinking now it's season two. No, I would or, prefer or next time. Next time is season two. This I is would, the end of season one ninety uh, of season uh, friendly uh, one. amendment. Yeah, friendly amendment. So I think it's a little weird um, to have. Season one have only 99 seasons. 99 episodes, you mean? Excuse me. I think it's odd for season one to have 99 episodes because season two is going to have, if it starts at episode 100 and runs to 199, it has 100 episodes. So I think it would be better to say that uh, season one runs from episode one through episode 100. Well, but, but season and one ran from, epi- so season zero, you know, fo- has, fo- follow was me only here. episode zero. Was it, no, season zero was episode zero through episode 99. No, 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 no. Season no. one is episode 100 through 199. Season two will be episode 200, our next episode, until maybe, we'll, let's be optimistic, 299. So they all have 100 episodes. Yes. Because season zero is not just one to 99, it's zero. To zero 99. to 99. Mm. That's that's my thought. 
That's my thought. I don't know if you I agree. like what a struggle this has been for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's been healthy. <laughs> like I've grown from that. Right. This is a good, it's good to, um, to run toward that which one <laughs> uh, reviles or fears. Uh, such as your numbering system. So I think this is great. This well, is, this is, I embrace it. <laughs> the most important thing is that it, it gives us a chance at kind of a fresh start. Because mm. you know how some shows, they didn't really get good until season two. Some of them went off the rails at season two. Yeah, then you know. now we got to talk about the season four problem because that's inevitable. Yeah. Um, so this, but this is good. So, so refresh me once again because it's been a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- we're now wrapping up season one. That's right. Season one is will be a wrap at the end of this show. Season zero, I didn't even know had come and gone. You know, it was it, it was. I won't say insubstantial because boy, it. it was very substantial. But but you know, it it wasn't marked. It, its it, passing was not same, marked. We didn't have the same conception then as we do right now. That's right. Uh, conceptions come and go, and we were trying course. to overcome the hypercritical um, problem that maybe it's at episode one hundred you just stop. Like John Syracuse. Yeah. Like, who are we to do to try to do more than John Syracuse did in Hypercritical? No one. No one. So, right. uh, okay, this is great. Um, I did get. Let me. Let me. I skip look forward to, this. to wrapping up season one. I look forward to beginning season two. Uh, this is on the assumption that I am not in the uh, interim hit by a bus <laughs> or other very fast moving large vehicle because that would bring a quick end to me. Or if, you, or if you hit a stationary object while yourself moving very fast. Either way, uh, it's all relative. Like if you were say. projected at several hundred miles per hour and someone threw a kind of just tossed a bullet up in the air. That would be bad. It would me. be like getting struck with a bullet. Indeed. I hope that doesn't happen. I, I too hope that doesn't happen. Um, not, I sincerely, sincerely the, hope that doesn't happen. The energy so. that it would take to project me a few hundred miles an hour is, that's not trivial. Hmm. Um, uh, airliners are able maybe to season this. two could be a series of 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 kind of uh, of um, physics thought experiments, <laughs> or we could just read uh, some Einstein over and over again, mm. since he was sort of a genius at that. Well, you could you could do worse. Mm, I feel like worse. season zero, and we'll come back to this, was the speed trap season. <gasps> oh, season one, what was it? What was it? Yeah, I think we have to leave that to later historians. <laughs> Uh, to reflect upon. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we can leave them clues. Well, uh, we have. We've, we've left 100 episodes. <laughs> that's a great example, what I'm talking about. Right. Uh, we, can add, we can leave them further clues, which are our own reflections. Uh, but, of course, our judgment is, although perhaps better informed than theirs, only slightly so. Now, let me gin it up in, in terms of what the podcast should be by reading uh, from a bit of listener feedback we got. This I love was, that. This was in response to our question, should we just stop at episode 200? Or yes. 200? You know, are you saying yes? We should? Uh, I, yes, okay. I would love to hear the reader feedback. Oh, okay, I thought you were saying we should stop and I was going to hit... Okay, all right. <laughs> this is from listener Mason, who is um, going to law school, right? He's decided to go to law school. Um, and... Um, simultaneously excited and terrified. Mm. Um, says our podcast has been really helpful. Cool. In thinking about what, not, I don't want to, I, I, we're not responsible though, are we, Joe? We should have a disclaimer. People who decide to go to law school because of our show, like they agree to hold us harmless for all injuries, um, uh, regrets, pains. Yeah, right? well, I, I, I like your disclaimer. It is alarming to, contemplate the notion that our show would be a material 
cause of someone's deciding to attend law school. Now, is this just a general thought that you have that it's alarming to you that anything you do is a material cause for anyone else's decision on anything? That is unavoidable um, mm-hmm. and not and not to be avoided um, or, or even wish to be avoided in many circumstances. I, I'm being quite specific about this show being a material cause of someone's deciding to attend law school. Deciding to attend law school is a very significant life decision. Yes. And I think if someone wants our input on that very big life decision, they should seek us out outside the context of our recording a podcast. Ah, uh, so although I think you know, there's a talk with them. About there's it? a lot that you can gather from the podcast. There is a lot, but, but the material cause. Okay, well, I mean, well, I'll reflect on it. Well, I, I don't think he said that we were a material cause. Did I know. He? I, I am I not allowed to go beyond the the things mentioned in the document? He's, he, <laughs> you have to stay within the four corners of the document. Well, that's very... Joe, we are season two. We're going to move to a purely textualist mode mm. of interpretation of all things in life. Wow. Even things well, which are not rendered in text. The comforting which thing will be about difficult. that is, is, is how little of life then we will actually be talking about. <laughs> that is at least a little comforting. Um, so, uh, so, so then listener Mason says, uh, you know, thank you so much for the intriguing conversations, um, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you. Uh, um, your, your students are lucky to have you, both of you, which is great. I don't know that our students would agree, but you know, um, I appreciate that. That said, remember, this is coming back to me. Well, mm. I, of course I read this in the, in the mailbag, which I also read. But it it's seems now coming back to me. It's when, that said, it seems that the last two episodes created strained conversations and downright bickering. I do remember this. Yes. 200 episodes might be the correct number for oral argument. <laughs> there are an awful lot of other legal podcasts right now, and I would not be surprised if some of them would want to have you on as a guest if you ever needed to get back on the, what, pod waves, he says? Pod waves, question mark? Plus, that will give you three relaxed episodes to produce great content with an expiration on the horizon. You'll also have more time to focus on your family, students, and budding legal careers. Hmm. I think that uh, shows a level of uh, optimism about my longevity <laughs> that is yeah. quite stunning. Yeah. Uh, uh, this legal career ain't a bud. <laughs> uh, it is a wizened, uh, droopy flower. I, it's a wacky bud, as the kids say these days, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. They, I don't know what the kids say. Yeah. I don't know what they say. Um, your thoughts. So I, I, I'm not sure. I, I forget now. I think I knew at the time that you it came in. You figure out exactly what those episodes were. Yeah. I, I don't, uh, no, I'm not a completist. I actually have not listened to all of our episodes. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I don't recall any recent ones being especially, you know, troubling in, in the way that it's being described, but you never know. Um, Maybe. I, you know, th- we really, you know, if I could post each episode with a little irritation meter, like oh, how irritated yes. is Joe well, with Christian? Needlessly, oh, it's, of course, it's always needless. Fair enough, right? Right. Uh, but we, listeners should, uh, we should find a way to put a widget on the oralargument.org website mm-hmm. that so that listeners can Ooh. Give, do a little, um, like the chili pepper on rate my professor. Oh yeah, like <laughs> a little irritation meter. <laughs> right. That would be so cool. How irritated did Joe sound? Yeah, you were irritated with me before we even started today. What? And I hadn't seen you in like three weeks or something. How, well, in what way was I irritated? I don't know. You're irritated about like having to set up the mic and everything oh, that, and all that. And, that you know. A, I don't really think I was, quote, irritated. <laughs> um, B, my irritation was not with you. Oh. As oh. I made clear. Um, but I think we should not 
pull the curtain back on all of the preparations that go into sitting down and making this recording. That's true. No one wants to hear about the fact that we have to sit down in chairs and pull the mics to our faces. Correct. <laughs> it is a, it is a daunting prospect. So um, I don't know. What, what do you think about it? So again, I, I, I didn't experience those as... I thought we had a few fun ones in there where we were kind of chatting back and forth and yeah. I, would, I would needle you a little bit. Didn't you have like a, a family member one time who listened to some of our episodes and was like surprised about how much you got needled by me? I Yes. Uh, now, yes, I remember that. Was, that. I now, think that was in season right. zero, actually. Like some, some, yeah, uh, this family member expressed the view that you were needlessly uh, <laughs> antagonistic toward me. <laughs> no, I don't. That's not the way you told it way back when. Isn't it? I, it was like, boy, he really, he's really neat. You know, I think what they appreciated is that I pushed your buttons in exactly maybe the way they wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and I are remembering this quite differently. I think it was conveyed to me with the sense that you should start to fly right. But oh. um, but we'll go dig that out. Okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll add that to my 8 million item to-do list. <laughs> um, so, w- so what do you think? Do you, you, do, you, do you disagree? you think we should keep going? Do you think season <laughs> two should... We, we could do it Game of Thrones style and have like just four episodes in, in season two. And just oh, quit. Yes. And all with very ill-considered plots. I'd... We're not going to be a couple of dudes talking about Game of Thrones season. No. What was it? Season seven? Is that what it was? <laughs> yes. I don't know. It was. I think the final season was a letdown on several. No, but no, but we're not. not, not do, we're not doing that. I enjoyed so, it. Was fine. Um, okay. Yeah, I agree. It was fine. It should have been better than fine. Oh. Uh, do I think we should keep going? I do think we should keep going for a while. I think that I think that season two ought to be devoted at least thirty percent to discussions about whether we should do a season three. Okay. In each episode, we should have this existential conversation about the at continued need much, for the podcast. What was your percentage? There? I think thirty. Re- that seems a little high. Hmm. Well, I think it's what the people are demanding. So, okay, listeners, let us know. So here's why I said that the email was apropos. Though it's next to the irritation meter. <laughs> it's a little thing where you can vote on the percentage right. in integers. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. only the 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 expressed as an integer the percentage of time we should spend in season two contemplating and discussing whether to have season okay. three. I, I promise the listeners we're not going to continue to talk about this. However, I, I thought this this was apropos because you know we asked for it and this was a bit of feedback we got on that point and it was uh, kind of surprising to me. Um, but. One point that the listener makes, which I think is very good, is there are a lot of legal podcasts now. And there were not when we started the podcast, low these many years ago. That's true. Can I recommend two podcasts? No. (laughs) Of course you can. I would love to hear them. Personally, even if if we weren't recording, I would want to hear your suggestions. So perhaps you've heard uh, that uh, Leah Littman and some other folks are launching a podcast called Strict Scrutiny. Indeed, I have. I have not seen whether the first episode is shipped yet i assume that it has there's a little micro episode that okay. allows you to subscribe it's I, a thing to which you can subscribe so you'll later get the more it's about two and a half minutes two and a half minutes maybe i suggest or, we call those microsodes microsodes nice hmm. uh, kate Shaw, former guest kate yes Shaw, uh there's some other folks involved in it as well uh and it looks like it's gonna be great so i'm yeah. looking forward to strict scrutiny i did listen to the microsode mm-hmm. uh and subscribe to it in my overcast podcast app yeah i'm really excited about that one i think they're gonna the, do a great job the other one is not a law podcast at all it's called anthropocene reviewed i think it's anthropocene and i think the uh gentleman's name is john green perhaps uh it is a series of reviews on a five-point scale of things that uh, are because oh, I saw this. Yeah. we are. Mm. 
uh, we're in the Anthropocene era, uh, meaning the human era. And uh, I think so far, the only thing to get one star is, is um, spinal meningitis. Hmm. I could have that wrong. It might be the Taco Bell breakfast menu that got one star. <laughs> but he, it's always a pair of items. And they're interestingly juxtaposed. The reason why I think this podcast is so great, and it really is amazing, Mm -hmm. is because I thought until recently, until I encountered this podcast, the Anthropocene Reviewed, is that John Hodgman's, uh, Judge John Hodgman podcast was unique in all of human history as a perfect synthesis of of hilarity and uh, and wisdom and... uh, um, what's the third thing? Some ineffable element. Mayonnaise. Um, that's some of his live shows. Okay. Um, this podcast is that too. It is to me on a par in its hilarity and beauty uh, and wisdom. Well, that's high praise, Joe. Uh, with the Judge John Hodgman podcast. From, y- from you, that's three. like among the highest praise. Hilarity, beauty, and wisdom. Wow. Wow, that's the trifecta. That's yeah. the Joe trifecta. Correct. Okay. So folks should listen to that. Okay. It's all about me, of course, as you pointed out innumerable times. This is all a very extended form of therapy for me. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to have an insight into me as my therapist, uh, you should listen to that podcast. Well, that, that's, I mean, I think all of our listeners are endeavoring to excavate the <laughs> Joe psyche. So this is an important clue. This is a clue that you've left, yes, really. For, for you, for future historians, really for everybody. So many clues in these episodes. Anything else on that front? No, but I forgot what we're talking about. Oh, we're talking. So, well, so the idea is. Oh, many is, legal podcasts. Yes, yeah, so many legal podcasts. And so the idea is maybe, you know, in season two, we, we could possibly adjust our focus. Because, you know, um, we've, we've mentioned Brian Fry's podcast a bunch. And he's talking to lots and lots of people about lots and lots of papers. And they're just way more episodes of that. Including than, some people I had wanted to talk to. Sure. And probably now won't schedule them as guests because they've done a podcast about that paper with, and, and they did a good job on it and, and yeah, so yeah what's so, the, so i don't need to we don't need to add that so maybe, so maybe it's something to think about like you know what what's our huh. what is our purpose maybe, exactly. maybe this is you know maybe we're having the the angst uh that people have as they're aging like what what is what is my purpose in society wow. so now is, that all these whippersnappers are coming up is doing this podcast now middle-aged is this officially i think it's elderly i think we are in podcast years <laughs> we are, I think we are 95 years old in podcast wow. years. Um, so we really are barreling towards senescence. Yeah, um, well, yeah, I think so. So okay. it's something, I, I just want to plant that seed in your mind and mm. in the listener's mind that it's more like a big if, if we become pit. a little, if we, if we become something else, you know, because things are always changing, we're always becoming something else, oh, right? True. We're always becoming. Yeah. Um, what mm. should that be? Should we be intentional about that? Hmm. We haven't always done the same kind of show. We changed a lot from season zero to season one. That's true. I think we should rename the podcast uh, Random Walk and really just we had, talk a, about, we had an episode called Random Walk. And just talk about anything. Hmm. I don't see why we couldn't do that. Which will occasionally be guests to talk about academic papers because, of course, at random, that's going to happen a certain amount of time. Yeah. But other than that, what the heck? We could just randomly dial up academics. <gasps> Neat. And, you know, catch them, whether they're on a, on a, on a train, uh, in their office, wherever, and say, hey, we read this paper. You want to chat a little bit? Implementation suggestion. Okay. Uh, that we, when we're uh, 
random dialing academics that we random dial any kind of academic. Yes. This way, uh, this is the way to actually talk to non-law professor academics because <laughs> when I write to them, they don't answer my emails. Yeah. So what's this, wrong with your emails? I, this is a great question, but we've got to work on how we do the first few seconds of the phone call or that's not going to work either. We could so get we'll our, have to do a little planning here. We could get our listeners to invite guests. Hmm. They, no. they could just email people out of the blue, no. and then they email us and tell us when we have to interview them. No, it, it's like uh, it's like Lyft or, or Uber for for our podcast. Yeah, no thanks. I'm not down for that. <laughs> um, anytime I try to inject a little chaos or uncertainty into things, you're like, uh, wait a minute, you not. just we just did the dial the academic idea. Yeah, but we're which in control awesome. of that. You're, you think that's awesome because we control that. I think we're responsible for implementing it. It's our show. But what what if what if our show became reacting to unexpected events in the universe as best that we can? I can just walk around the world for that. But we should, but not with a microphone. Mm, you can follow me with a mic if you like. Really? Sure. Hmm. Okay. So we we have some ideas. You but, can. Not not just anybody. The other thing you we're going to do follow. in season two, I think, is we're going to move this whole thing on over to Twitch, and we're going to do everything <laughs> while we're playing video games. <laughs> Okay. Can uh, we play Mario in case Kart? Because I've heard that's kind of easy. That was one of the things we reviewed oh, on the yeah. reviewed is Super Mario Kart. Hmm. hmm. Um, um, what was it? Oh, but it, it should be apparent by now to the listeners that this is our annual Supreme Court roundup episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, listener James. We will talk about a case briefly. We got a, an email. Maybe from, one case. So, so we have some mailbag stuff going way back, and we're going to do a few. I'm, I'm sorry if we have not gotten to your email. I'm very sorry. That makes me feel bad. It almost makes me feel like we should shut down the email thing because I hate not getting to people's emails because they're all great. It delights but me when an email comes they in. They are really great. It absolutely delights me. We're oralargumentpodcast at gmail.com. The thing, the thing which automatically moves the email from Gmail into Slack has stopped working. I, I don't know why. I don't really know that we can be sure that that's true. Oh, it definitely is true because the, the, uh, the service that I use to... Um, to do that email to let me know that that was true. So it's but not the, happening anymore. But the matching dates thing. No, I mean, it, in late May. My, it, at the end of, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the okay. end of May, the service shut down. So it won't do it going forward. So going forward, we're not, but we still have, but we'll be able to check the, the Gmail. Yes. So oral argument. Oral, Which I did today. Oral argument podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we have some going way back. And so uh, we got this email from James, I think it's McLeod. Uh, I think it's James McLeod. Um, and uh, we don't normally say the the last name, of course. This, it would, this would normally just be Listener James. But Listener James sent an email. He's like really complimentary about the podcast, telling, me how, tell, telling us how much he enjoyed listening. You uh, mean his family name? What did I say? Last name. This is our compromise, isn't it? Our family name is the what we arrived at as, as our the, compromise the position. fitting mm-hmm. uh, uh, way to indicate that name. Right. Because a last name is just the last thing you're called before you die. <laughs> <laughs> no, because the family name is not in the last position in some and that's languages right. and cultures. Yes. So we had a whole series of feedback, been... but this is, that, is so, that is so season zero. And I have hewed to it because you helped me see the wisdom in it. Because you had said surname before. Like, like the sprite you are, <laughs> like the puckish... Like the puckish sprite you are, yeah. you dance pe- away having convinced me of the wisdom of it. You decide right. to just go do and now I so chaos damn well like and yeah say surname and such yeah. Uh, so my apologies, Jeff, for that. Uh, uh, but, but the reason that I'm mentioning the the family name. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so he wrote an email which is complimentary and saying he was you know like like we want 
people to listen. Like you felt some connection over time. Like yeah, I which is look cool. forward to that's an episode. Because we, right? um, we enjoy talking to each other and we enjoy that other people might enjoy it too. And I'm sure that's that's true of many people right up until this episode. <laughs> but uh, um, and he'd been meaning to email us from for a while, but but he emailed and he, he felt bad about it. He but don't apologize, James. I think this is great, truly great. He's gonna be publishing an article. I saw it's gonna be published in the Indiana, I think it's the Indiana Law Journal. Okay. Uh, but don't quote me. I'm going to include a link in the show notes to a paper um, which um, uh, related to something we'd done in an earlier episode. And I forget exactly which one now. I haven't gone back and looked at it. And I, I took a look at the paper when it first – maybe we'll talk about this paper in the future mm, on the mm-hmm, show. Mm-hmm. In fact, maybe maybe season two will be just papers by listeners. Wow. That's exciting. You don't listen. You don't get on the show. Okay. Hmm. Um. I'm going to put that in my invitation email. But he wrote a paper called Ordinary Causation, a Study in Experimental Statutory Interpretation, which discusses corpus linguistics and ordinary meaning and statutory interpretation, though the parts near and dearer to my heart and future projects may be the final two subsections on common law concepts and experimental philosophy. Neat. Um, and that so, sounds right in the oral argument sweet spot. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, when he first sent the email, I think I took a, took a look and I need to go back and read more carefully. Obviously, yeah. it's, you know, things That's speed like up. That's like a late season semester. one sweet spot. Yeah. So, um, I think this was after, maybe this is probably after our episode with Carissa Hessick, would be my mm. guess. You know what I've noticed? What? Recently, there have been a bunch of papers, and it's the corpus linguistics thing that's making me focus on this. There have been a bunch of papers by people writing in and around this question of sort of, you know, AI decision making as, and, and its acceptability in the, in the legal context, sort of, you know, justice bot. Yeah question mark i had a student write about this in modern american legal like theory a couple years ago five of these recently yeah um i'd like to have someone on to talk about that too maybe <laughs> i have thoughts yeah no no i think that'd be good it's thoughts so yeah you, i think i do i think i do but yeah. um uh, but they're not i did have a student write about that a couple years ago i had a student write a really interesting paper about um basically redoing um, the Splunkian Explorers paper Ooh. by Fuller, but where the judges were all different kinds of AIs. Oh, interesting. It is sort of a... Good conceit, right? I think one issue in there is sort of the rule standards kind of conundrum yeah, yeah. and can you reduce uh, legal systems to rules and one's intuition. The, the key might. there is finding the interesting things which don't just reduce to the obvious nuggets, right? Exactly. I, mean, I think that is the well, challenge. Which well, is, there's stuff that which, which reduces to the obvious and are just kind of recloakings of old debates. Right. And, then right. there, and then there's also the there's danger. There's got to be some stuff in there though that is because it's uh, more, more, more granularly connected to actual recent developments that, that it might actually be able to see, shed some new light, shed mm-hmm. some, share some new thoughts. So mm-hmm. that'd be the thing to look for. Um, listener Barry, uh, many thanks. So what was the, so the McLeod, so we did McLeod, listener Barry, what's listener Barry? Listener Barry, many thanks to you both for engaging in discussion on the concept of the Scottish criminal verdict system of not proven. You remember when we brought this up a while ago? We did. And my recollection is Barry said we kind of got, we kind of hit it reasonably close. He says we were, were, were remarkably on the ball with what it means. Now, I don't know if what he means is for Americans or for us. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to read it in the most generous to me fashion. Okay. Uh, To fill in some of the blanks, which is um, it's the same as not guilty in terms of punishment by the state. It's mostly a throwback to the original purpose of the jury up until the mid 1700s or so, which was to determine a finding of proven or not proven with the judge then rendering a guilty or not guilty verdict. 
Two things really have helped its survival. The first is that it's vastly disproportionately used in cases of rape and sexual assault. It's widely believed that scrapping the verdict would result in even fewer prosecutions and driving reporting of assaults like this to even lower levels as victims report that not proven gives them some satisfaction even if the accused is not convicted. Hmm. Um, the second is in the UK-wide reforms allowing for prosecution even after a not guilty verdict. So they don't have quite the same double jeopardy that we do, uh. but there's a high standard. So this allows you, you know, new DNA, the person was acquitted, you can go back and you can actually re-prosecute the person based on, on new evidence. So you can re- But there's a high threshold. So you can re-prosecute if the verdict is not proved, but not if it's acquitted. I guess so. Um, Fascinating. Yeah, and uh, I think I would be happy to develop an incremental judgment system of 10% from not guilty to guilty or variations on how we feel on the spectrum of what these terms really mean. A rainbow of judgments sounds like a paper waiting to happen. Mm. Rainbow of judgments. Now, w- what... Um, yeah, I think I, I think in our conversation about it, about the, the not proved verdict in uh, Scott's law, that I came around to the idea that if it's if it's a way to kind of slag on somebody instead of just acquitting them like you know we're saying you're not guilty but um, but here's this little a that you need to wear on your chest yeah you, like that yeah. bugs me i don't like that idea mm-hmm. um but these other the survival because of uh, b- because you're worried about not well under prosecution but also under um reporting yeah, if the victim I, I, i'm not sure how it that sounds I, like in a way it's a it difficult is, I want to think more about it for sure. It yeah. sounds difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Anywho. Yeah. Thank you. Joey got a couple emails about speed traps. Mm, I know. They're in the news. I'm going to include a link to a recent decision by a federal magistrate judge mm. who, um, in this decision, at least preserved the possibility of a First Amendment defense. Have we been cited in any of these decisions? No, this is the disappointing That's thing. That's frustrating. Because. Right? I mean, this was, this is, talk about Heartland Season Zero material. That is when we established ourselves as the world's foremost podcasting authorities on speed trap law. And whether or not there is a canonical form of podcast citation a la the Blue Book, uh, I think, you know. Or the Indigo Book. They changed the name. The Indigo Book, Blue Book, there are, you know. Just cite it. Just say. Correct. I I think. We should be discussed in the text. It's important enough. That we really should, the author of these, uh, the author of any given decision in this body of law, mm-hmm. really uh, ought to find a way to communicate effectively that we are an important source to consult. I think that's, this is the most critical. Full stop. The most critical part of this news was that we were not mentioned yeah. in either of these stories, either the news story I'm about to talk about or in this decision. Much less, probably what should have happened is that we should have been flown out by this judge as a kind of friend of the court expert witnesses. Like, you know, the judge should have thrown up his or her hands. Uh, like, I, you know, I'm not an expert in these matters, but I know who to call. And I will say, I, I, I am quite certain that in the federal system at any rate, that uh, federal rule of evidence 706 certainly provides for the court appointment of experts. Mm-hmm. So just saying. That's a good point, Jim. So so if, maybe maybe we didn't set this up well enough for listeners who have not done uh the the proper thing which is to go back to episode zero and listen to all of the preceding episodes before getting to this one um the the issue is like if you're driving along you pass a speed trap you know where the cops are waiting in like a hollow somewhere or something like that with a little radar gun you see them and then you keep going and then you see unsuspecting drivers minding their own business who might be going a little fast and you might flash your lights should you flash your lights to indicate hey 
hey, hold on there. And we had a series of shows where we talked about this, and we, and we, we found earlier decisions. We, we talked about um, the application of, of Kant's ethical theory to, to this question. And, and it, it really, you know what it comes down to? We really well, can, we canvassed at, in a conceptual fashion, in a case law fashion. I experienced personal discovery and growth. <laughs> When you found out that I mean, it, you could you you could actually see lights in the day. Yeah, I mean, it's all been it was kind of an amazing odyssey, and I find again, I just find it quite mystifying that our excellence. In but this if you regard, don't grapple immediately with the big, well, there's a, there's a big there there are several big issues, but one of the big issues is by flashing your lights, are you are you kind of helping a person get away with a crime, or are you trying to reinforce the norm that the law itself is trying to establish? In other words, are you saying, hey, slow down? That's a reminder. You know, you don't want to get stopped by a cop. But the effect of your flashing your lights is going to get them to slow down, yeah. which is what the law wants them to do anyway. And, and, and I think... Or are you helping them get away with a crime? And I may, I may or may not have said this in the past, and I may or may not have thought this in the past, but sitting here right now thinking it and about to say it, I will say this. A very important element to my inference that you are simply helping to remind people that they should double check that they're in compliance with legal norms, Mm -hmm. Uh, which can include driving a little bit above the posted speed limit, but putting aside that complication. The the reason why I think the better inference is that you are merely helping people comply better with the norm and that you are not trying to assist people in avoiding the norm Right. Is because you send the signal by flashing your lights without knowing how fast those people are or are not going Hmm. or have or have not been going. Right. Right. So it's not conditional on your perception that, oh, that person, I need to help them avoid the law. You're you're simply communicating this in general. Yeah. I wonder if this came up in our earlier conversations because one of the hypos. I said, I don't recall. Yeah. One of the hypos we thought about was, you know, you're in a convenience store, you see someone about to pull out a gun to stick up the uh, the cashier or something like that and you kind of point to a police officer outside or something like that and that to me sounds quite different from flashing your lights at oncoming traffic when you have yourself just gone by a concealed police car mm. uh, because hewing to the norm of driving at the acceptable speed given the posted limit and given weather conditions and people's general driving habits. Um, that's all perfectly lawful, typical behavior. Pulling out a gun in a convenience store, there's that's sort of only one way that story's gonna unfold. Yeah. Uh, and it's and it has nothing to do with lawful behavior. Okay, it's decided then season two is going to be entirely about speed trap law. Which means <laughs> that we will never again on this program have to talk about the meltdown of the American political and legal system. <laughs> Except to the extent that it involves f- speed traps. I guess that's right. Yeah, I guess that's right. Um, I mean, that meltdown could include all sorts of chicanery in and around speed traps. We got a really nice email from listener. um, Oh, well, there was also a news story. I'm linking this in the show notes as well. This is a lot of show notes this week. There aren't that many. I'm just mentioning all the ones. Include a picture from. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. Hold on. Um, uh, the, the news story, cause they sent you pictures, the news story that I linked, um, was one where the, the cops had set up a, a speed trap and they're like, why aren't we catching anybody? Yeah. What's going on here? We should be catching people. Right. Which is, you know, if you think about it, kind of weird, like you're, you're, you're expecting, expecting that, violations of the law. Yeah. Have I said before, I really don't like the word cop. 
Why not? I just, it kind of sounds slightly rude. Hmm. Well, you don't have to use it. Cool. Um, you could say the police. Yeah. That's what I would say if I were describing Yeah, but, but lots of cops say cops. That's, it's, this is a fair point. I'm not, I was just making an observation about myself. Hmm. It is all about me. <laughs> it's been made clear innumerable times. Well, this is a valuable bit of information. We'll just put uh, that into the Joe vault. But what was the news uh, story that, so they weren't catching anyone with their speed trap and they were wondering why. So the police officers <laughs> were, were, were set up, uh, yes, and they weren't catching, they weren't like, what's going on? Like, why, you know, there should be lots of law violations here, right? They right. weren't getting any. Um, and, and they went back down the road and they, someone had set up like some wooden sign that said, um, uh, uh, police officers ahead. Mm. So... You know, and 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 they actually uh, in in, uh, in in kind of good spirit posted this posted a picture of it on Facebook yeah, and said, yeah. you, you know, you got us. It's a Facebook, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's an especially compelling example of the fact that to infer something about the communicator's intention, they they can't possibly be making the decision whether to communicate that based on what they observe as the other driver's behavior. Because being put there at a time when they can't see anyone else's behavior. Mm -hmm. So, of course, they could be helping people. So, so to make a strong... But presumably the the information is only relevant to someone who's speeding. But but there that that's a fair point. But, of course, there are many reasons why you might be speeding, right? You might be paying insufficient attention. Mm -hmm. It might be a long, flat straightaway where you sort of can lose track of your speed perception because you're not, if you're not paying close attention, right? So again, the, the wrong, the, the inference that what they're doing is wrongful in the sense that they are trying to facilitate unlawful behavior or they're trying to facilitate behavior well outside the norm of lawful behavior. Um, It's just not, I think it's not a fair inference. No, I, it, it, well, let me put it in a slightly more my, my memory way. is that my memory is that you're taking the position that I had early on. In it's this that thing. it's it's not it's it's not a slam. It, it is far from a slam dunk that the person making this communication, whether it's the flashing of the headlights or the right. posting of that sign, that 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 person's intention and hope is that other people will be able to kind of speed with more abandon, uh, well above the posted limit. I just think that's a that's just a you know, maybe that's what they wanted to do, but you can't really tell it from the behavior. At yes. least I don't think you can. Um, but, you know, the fact that they're alerting them to a police trap rather than, you know, putting up a sign that says, hey, you know, pay attention to the road, the speed limit's 35. Well, suggests and that, that makes allowance for the fact that sometimes people are, find themselves speeding, not because, again, they're trying to do anything dastardly, but because they just kind of don't lose track yeah. of what. And, and you might think, well, having a person who just kind of lost track get stopped and apprehended by the police seems heavy handed. I don't know if I mentioned this email on the I'm, I'm moving on. Is okay. That okay? Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this email in the last episode or not. We got a nice email. What is it? I, I thought the rest of oral argument was forevermore going to be dedicated to speed. No, that's season two. This is the end of season. Oh, okay. This is got the it. end of season one. This is the last episode of season one. I'm happy to clear that up. If there are any more clarifications I can make, now is the time. This is the clarification corner. Yeah. Okay. Listener Erica sent us a nice note about our lawyer happiness episode. This is the one where we talked about the paper. Yeah, I think it was fun to talk about. I predicted things without having been told in advance about the paper. I, I, I correctly anticipated what turned out to be the case. Here's another possibility. From now on, it's just you and me talking about papers. 
maybe with a guess, we'll bring in a third party, but only one of us will know which paper it is in advance. <gasps> Ooh. That could work. And, and we, rename, we rename the show from oral argument to talk about that paper. <laughs> and, no. And you give the first half of the abstract, and then the other person talks about the paper, and we see whether or not no, they rebuild the paper. It's not called talk about it. It's called, what's that paper? What, oh, okay. Question mark. Okay. Um, I think we need to workshop this a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, but listener Erica um, said, I'm hoping to t- also take this opportunity to convince you to incorporate more environmental law content into your podcast. There's yeah, so, well, so many fun. property land use issues in that area, and it's also really technical, not unlike IP. I think it would dovetail well with your expertise. Well, <laughs> we, had that, Jessica, we had Jessica Owley, uh, I think, on yeah, an episode We had two. Brigham Daniels. We've done uh, Sarah Schindler in a few episodes. Matthew, so. on this is on animal law a long time ago. Matthew, um, I think it was, mm, now, this was early season zero, yeah. so I'm, I'm But forgetting. I agree that that's a very, um, very rich a vein of scholarship and topics to talk about. And uh, so, yeah. Well, not least of which, because if we don't get environmental law right, we're all going to die. Yeah, for a very, for a broad understanding of environmental law. Um, but be- because, uh, I mean, climate change questions to me really transcend the category of right. environmental law for precisely the reason you just And described. a lot of pollution regulation is okay. So, so setting climate change to one side, you if you don't get that right, you know, a lot of people will die. Yeah. Um, and there's a great stuff about, uh, well, okay. So I'm not going to belabor that. I have a personal interest in wilderness and, um, then in, and all that. So this is, I, I would be, I would be for that. Energy production and energy market regulation, I think is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think falls within a broad sense uh, of, uh, she included a couple of suggestions. I'm not going to mention them now. Okay. Um, but, uh, you, you have access to them, Joe, and if they I do. don't appear as guests on the show within the next twenty episodes, we're ending the we're ending the run of the podcast. <laughs> okay, nice. Uh, I think we've got time for one more. Um, mm. and, and again, apologies if we haven't gotten to your email, listener Joel. Listener Joel, all the way from Australia. Yes. Hi, guys. We don't have a system in Australia which closely parallels the U.S. system of, quote, unpublished appellate opinions. You remember our show about unpublished we appellate opinions? We talked about opinion? this. About his, this email? Yes. We talked about an email. Was it from listener Joel or from somebody else? Hmm. We've received more than one email on this topic. Because you and I had an exchange about it and someone wrote us about your... Um, this is about whether it's skewed. We've had multiple exchanges yeah. and we've received multiple emails. Okay, so we're not going to belabor it again. So, so, so um, uh, if we haven't talked about it, and maybe I'm only thinking about this because we've received something additional from listener Joel. Yes. So, it's, so why don't you talk about that? No, here, do the, let's talk about the email. Well, the, the, I thought you said we talked about it. So we, I suspect, so this is about like, um, I don't know that my sense have, is that our re- case law, Australian case law, has traditionally skewed toward commercially significant areas of law and away from areas... Uh, I've worked in. I suspect this is partly because of which legal proceedings have historically been seen as important by judges and which not. I wonder whether the selection of which appellate opinions are published in the U.S. system is skewed in the same way. Do you know of any research about this? And and the answer is, at least technically and formally, no, it's not skewed in that way, that the citation practices of, of appellate courts are not based on perceived importance, but on the uh, but on a judgment about whether new law is being made or whether all that's being done is the application of existing precedent. So at least at a formal level, and I haven't done any studies, you know, if you did careful studies, you might tease out, uh, you know, that judgments about what 
is an extension of the law and what is a mere application of the law might be tainted by perceived importance. I have no yeah. idea, but at least as a formal matter in the United States, publication decisions are, are you know, solely a matter of whether uh, um, uh, the result is a straightforward application of existing circuit precedent. And a potential cross-cutting factor is the degree to which uh, the judiciary under discussion has specialized courts uh, to a greater or lesser degree. Uh, we don't, generally speaking. We have generalist courts, generally speaking. So that if you let the courts decide which things they do and don't want to publish, given that most cases are distributed widely among lots of different courts, the fact that all those courts would be making their own decisions about what to do might sit, tell you that in the aggregate, like all courts of appeals in the federal system as an example, right, um, that circuit-to-circuit circuit differences would wash out. You might predict that as one hypothesis for what you could observe in the data. Uh, if Australia has uh, more specialized courts, then if any one of them were to make the decision to publish much less often, and there weren't other courts hearing the same kinds of cases, that would, I think, lead you to make a somewhat different prediction. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know about the Australian court system in respect of its use of specialized courts. We need to do a series of shows from Australia mm. where we travel around and meet with people in different areas of Australia and we get to the bottom of these issues. And as long as, we're, uh, as long as we will be there for at least six months, I will be willing to make the journey. Oh, it, if we're not there for at least six months, I am not willing to make three weeks is enough. I mean, it's, Australia is fantastic. I've oh, it's amazing. Twice. It's incredible. Twice. Have you been there? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, because I have not been able to stay for six months. I will not travel that far. If, unless I'm able to stay for a multi-month. And mm. I think six is a perfectly respectable target. I think I was there for two weeks one time, maybe three weeks yeah, another. There's not like that. a chance in hell. Why, why is that? Because it's way too much flying. It's, I find flying not good. How, how was so your flight we, to Europe? We haven't really talked about that. It, it was fine, but it was not 18,000 hours, which is what it takes to get to Australia. It's a little bit more. It's a little bit more. How long was your flight to, uh, you, you went to Switzerland, is that right, for a conference? How, how, long, how long was that flight? Um, it, was about, it, was a, it was around nine in each direction, give or take. Yeah, I think it's, 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 it's slower on the way back because flying west. So, I, my memory, yeah, so it might be eight and a half, nine and a half or something Yeah, something like that. Like that. Where, and from LA to, um, to Sydney, I is, you think it's a long, it, it'll be longer, but it's, I think it's about 14 hours. Yeah, that's, I, 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 won't, I won't make it. I mean, that's another... Hey, just go to sleep. It's another five hours. Just go to sleep. Well, I mean, if I... I guess if I ate like a brick of Ambien <laughs> um, and, you know, chased it with a fifth of Bushmills, I've got I, another might, I might survive. I've got another suggestion for you. I go to Australia. Okay. And of course, we find, you know, some Australia, United States... Um, Is um, there some Cunard line cruise like that I could just voyage the, the world in a beautiful, very large ship? Oh, you know, people have yachts and things, but, um, mm, yeah, uh, it seems more expensive. I you. think, you know, if we can find some Australia, United States friendship, um, um, uh, a foundation, which okay. is just kind of throwing money to, to pay for such journeys, they could fly me out there. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't need to go first class, Joe. I could go business. Okay. Okay. Um, I would actually go coach. Uh, but, uh, and I go out there and I meet up with listener Joel and we, and we Skype you in, you see, so it's kind of, it's the that reverse. That would be so cool. That totally works for me. It, it is part of my uh, not so hidden agenda to get you to have other co-hosts. Oh my God. 
So we're going to make Joel the Australia-based co-host. I will go to Australia for less than six months if a billionaire with a super yacht dedicates the yacht and its crew to my needs for that <laughs> six-month period gratis. I'm not going to pay for this. Oh. Um, or I, I will fly um, or take a like Cunard line or similar, like QE2 or better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Have you seen those uh, Emirates flights that with the first class and the A380s that have like, you know, separate cabins? I mean, where, where your cabin and the plane is enclosed and there's like a queen size bed and I like would a shower that. and stuff? I yeah. would consider that. Yeah. Again, if an oligarch pays for it. I, I, I don't require that an oligarch pay for it. Well, this if someone is, wants to take out a loan, that's who has the money to pay for that. Yeah, okay. I'm sure that's the cost of a plane. So you had other news about listener Joel, though. Oh well, Joel sent us a gift. Oh wow! All the way. This was awesome from Australia. This package did not need to consume massive quantities of Ambien and whiskey to make the journey. <laughs> it was able to simply be he carried. Sent, so instead of us going to Australia, Joel sent a little bit of Australia. To us, yes, and it's a it's a beautiful uh, gift of two different books. Uh, you actually texted me pictures of this while I was away. I did, which you could put in the show notes if you were of such a mind or not. I don't uh, know if that's I don't possible. Know Joel, but we can describe it. It's okay. Um, so, a book by Chloe Hooper uh, called "The Tall Man: Death and Life on Palm Island," and it's a powerful nonfiction novel in the tradition of Truman Capote's "In Cold Blood." So says the Sunday Telegraph. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also Helen Garner's. Uh, Joe Sinkway's Consolation. Joe Sinky. Joe Sinkway. Wait, let me, this is not fair. The my inability to pronounce family names is really <laughs> being put on the on the griller here. Um, uh, a true story of death, grief, and the law. Mm-hmm. So these are uh, nonfiction about the Australian legal system in one form or fashion. I like it that there are two books, which means that we don't have to fight over it. Like one, well, I mean, unless you have a strong preference. You you could be reading one while I was reading the other in contrary wise or vice versa or just rotating, et cetera. And then in our big Australia show held from the the steps of the Sydney Opera House. I love it. I love it. We'll discuss these books with with Joel. Live. Live. I can't wait. You will be with him live in person. I will be uh, connecting by means of the internet. Hmm. Or we could do it on the that, super yacht. That's acceptable. If, that's acceptable to me. If I'm if I'm carted there by a super yacht, we can do it on the deck of the super yacht. Okay, we are now about fifty minutes into the show. What are we? What's the show about today? Today's show is all about oh, entirely is, about Supreme our Supreme Court, Court roundup, our annual yes. Supreme Court roundup. Now, nice. Now, listeners might be saying to themselves, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute!" Um, <laughs> Isn't the, isn't the Supreme Court releasing like twelve opinions in the next like three days? Yeah, the term's not over yet. So yeah. how can this be a roundup? That's one very difficult. Thing my to suggestion is right at the outset. Um, uh, let me. Uh, my suggestion is we talk about these cases and then we kind of just forget about it. Talk about what? These 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 two cases that we agreed to talk about today. We're going to talk about this uh, takings case. The overall. We're going to do both of these. I think. I think so. Okay. We should at least mention it. Yeah, it's a three-hour episode. And then, so and then the, the Latin Cross case in Maryland. Yes. Because um, the bla- the there's going to be so so you know next week they're going to come down with the um uh, redistricting case, the redistricting the case, case the census case yeah and and other big I can't even remember now um mm. I I'm not sure let's just you know who knows maybe we'll want to talk about them but let's just do our Supreme Court roundup right now right and then we don't need to talk about it again. 
that, that's our, we usually we talk about one case. So really, we're, this is this is a double um, barn burning episode. Yeah, because we're talking about two cases. It's incredible. Yeah, uh, we are. I mean, if we if we do any more than that, we're going to turn into a Supreme Court podcast. <laughs> and other people do that better. Uh, yeah, other people do it. <laughs> um, and better. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we, that's yeah. certainly been the past. I, I think I think you were implying, future. but just by saying that they do it, that they do it better than we do. <laughs> well, I, again, uh, in the past, I, I don't. We can't. We can't speak to the future. I have very high hopes. Which one do you want to talk about first? So we've got Nick versus Township of Scott. That's the the case in which uh, the regulatory takings case in which the Supreme Court overrules Williamson County, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and we can talk about what that means. I, I think it's a really Fascinating case, and um, that uh, it will be probably no surprise for people to hear that I think Kagan and dissent absolutely wipes the floor with the majority opinion. But uh, we can come back to that. Uh, and then um, there's also American Legion versus American Humanist Association over who can use the word American in their. <laughs> their <laughs> what, what I think is interesting is that so much of this term has turned out to be, and I'm thinking of franchise tax board against Hyatt, and I'm thinking of Gamble, the uh, uh, the double jeopardy separate sovereigns doctrine. Um, so much of this term is turning out to be, and and everyone's getting agita because we all know that that Roe is on the chopping block. Um, that the term is so so much of the term is about uh, precedent, stare decisis, what to do with some of these uh, very important cases that set frameworks and approaches for ways to think about parts of the law. Right, and that's true of both the cases you just mentioned. Yes, right? that in the in the cross case, much is said about Lemon against Kurtzman and the degree to which. It is or is not a an overall rubric or analytical framework for deciding all establishment clause uh, challenges to various practices. Yeah. So 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 um, so this, the cross case. There's a uh, World War One large cross set up on public property. What eventually became public property. There's right. some dispute, and um, and it's being challenged by the American Humanist Association as right. a violation of the establishment clause. Like government is a, has this huge cross and uh, which is being broadcast to basically all the people who come around it as, you know, a government endorsement of religion or some such. And right. so the question is, does the Establishment Clause preventing the establishment of religion bar government from maintaining such a such a structure? And it, the old test had been this Lemon test, this the, the test from this uh, case, uh, Lemon, where you basically you look at the effects and the purpose and the degree of entanglement between right. the government and, and religion. And in many, many, many other Establishment Clause cases um, since Lemon, the court has actually not applied or is not directly applied or has mentioned lemon and then applied some additional test. Uh, they have not really applied that test and had it be determinative. And we can talk about the reasons for that. And in this case, they just um, suggest that lemon plays no role. Oh, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't say that. I don't agree. I mean, I think they, I think they indicate that lemon is not a, if it ever was intended to be the, a sort of a, a test that rules all possible tests for this domain, that it hasn't been functioning as that, and it isn't that. So it's not that it plays no role. There are, there are cases where the, the things that accentuated in Lemon would be the things you would accentuate again. But in, case, in other cases, so 
um, you know, prayers to open legislative sessions, uh, holiday displays in in on around the end of December, beginning of January, um, et cetera, et cetera. Right there, it turns out that the the case the the groups of cases wind up having a kind of factually thick and important context that mm-hmm. the decision kinds of the decisions sort of cluster around and that as much as lemon helps understand what's happening in the cases that, so well I'm helps understand sure what, i yeah i i think that what makes this area difficult is um it, it's not too hard to cast about for principles that you know that that could feature as like you know long-standing principles from which elaborations as in other areas of the law become explanatory uh-huh. you know in other words elaborations of the principle become explanatory and can be used in future cases and you get kind of a common law constant so you can imagine that kind of thing working here um and the court and and people can take different views of those principles so at one level there's obviously a principle dispute about what the principles should be that govern this area there's also uh, um, a very strong streak perhaps stronger than in almost any other area i can think of and uh, of pragmatic concern about the Supreme Court, that um, adherence to certain principles about religious neutrality or uh, not or, or um, not supporting religion, there's a concern that, well, for example, when they, when they duck the um, Pledge of Allegiance under God case, right? The, the New Dow. The New Dow case, right, yeah. on kind of passive virtue type grounds, um, by saying there wasn't standing. Uh, so that's one where I think a fair view is that it was a pretty obvious um, endorsement of religion. Like it was intent. That's the reason they, they added the under God and the Red Scare era, right? It wasn't there from the beginning, whatever the beginning might be. Um, and they added it explicitly to distinguish the, the United States from the godless communists, right? Right. Right. So it had a... Uh, it, it, it explicitly said, we are religious people, like we are under God, and that was the purpose of it, right? right. It's really hard to come up with a principle that would approve of requiring children to say the pledge in school or even having the pledge said in school in a way which was like psychologically coercive, like in the Lee Against Wiseman case, the school prayer, the um, graduation public school prayer case. Right. So like... It's hard to see how uh, any reasonable principle, if you think the principle should include something about requiring all government entities to kind of stay out of religion or at least not to advocate for a particular – it's hard to see how that case comes out um, in a way that doesn't strike under God from the pledge which is said in a bunch of schools. But it's also hard to see how the Supreme Court does that and doesn't kind of, you know, invoke an absolute crap storm from the public. Which they might not be prepared to do. Uh, yeah, so that's what I mean. So, so it seems to me there are problems of principle here, where there's some dispute. And we can see that, like Thomas has one principle here, which is we can talk about, and and uh, and then the, there's this real pragmatic concern. You know, what happens if the Supreme Court really does get in the business of ordering a bunch of memorials with crosses on them torn down? Yeah, that it would just create the kind of religious social strife that the amendment one view of it would be the amendment is designed to stop that kind of thing and i use designed in a broad sense not as an original matter what but one reason one might want to have a religious neutrality principle in one's basic law is to prevent you know social religious strife you know and i think an interesting way in which the um this new uh 
is it Bladensburg? Is that the name yeah. of the town? I think so. Um, anyway, this new Maryland uh, cross case, it's not a new cross. It's been there for a long time. Part of the reasoning. Um, I think the way that the majority tries to situate that concern about strife in historical time, mm-hmm. where history itself starts to play a role in how things are perceived and whether or not a behavior now would generate strife, whether a behavior then generated strife, what it seemed like people's goals were, mm-hmm. what the nature of the community was at the time it put up the memorial, and the it, just that historical embeddedness. And this the pretty open suggestion that putting this thing up there now would not be okay in a way that putting it up there then was okay or right. is okay now. Like that's a very interesting way to try to grapple with the pragmatics of social strife, much of which is speculative. And this is, by the way, this is the opinion of the court, that, that, the, that the, cross is, the cross is okay, right. not on, not through direct application of the Lemon Test, but through a set of, were there four principles? Five, I don't have it in front of me right now, um, but kind of going through an analysis of, you know, has it, is this more historical? Has it been kind of drained not entirely, but but right. is you know w- what meaning does it have now? And, and it goes through these different. And I was sort of reminded of, yeah. in a way, the court's fair use cases mm-hmm. in, in copyright law, where you know you've got this part of the Copyright Act that that gives you four factors to talk about. Right. But the court ta- the court's fair use cases because they involve these quite different constellations of of sort of social behavior, uh, parodic music. Um, scooping someone's story in journalism, uh, making a recording of a show abroad on broadcast TV on your home video recorder, right? They're, the, they're just very different settings in, in which you've got this seemingly general purpose, both legal regime of copyright and then an exception to liability or however you want to you think about it as a firm defense, think about it as something as plain as burden. That's actually a contested issue in and of itself. But thinking about fair use, that the way you make these factors work, the, may, the way you make them live mm-hmm. is you situate them in a context, right? They're not four factors that let you avoid context. They're four things to think about in a context. So this cross case seemed to me to be more like that. Yeah. And, and although in, in this case, the four factors are kind of, so, so in, in fair use, the four factors kind of point at different attributes, right. Of, of the, of the copy and, and its relation to the original. Yeah. And all four of these principles or factors point, say, are, are, are you know, try to get at a different aspect of the passage of time. Mm. Right. So one aspect of the passage of time is it can be hard to recover what the original purpose was. So don't leap to the conclusion that it was, you know, religious advocacy. Another is that um, even if it was originally like super religious and that was the purpose of it, um, you know, it may take on a different meaning now and over time. And and, and um, uh, let's see, what's another one? Um, uh, yeah. So So if it's been up a long time then removing it now may appear like a religiously inspired act, you know, because it is against that thing, right? So across, now I, I'm not saying I buy all of these things, um, right. but that, that's kind of how they proceeded. Do you think this case is rightly decided? Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, think, um, I think it is reasonably decided. Mm. Uh, and I think it, it I think all you have to hear are the facts to know what's going to happen. Like the Newdow case, like the pledge case. Yeah. 
the Supreme Court. I'm not sure how you're going to get there, but I know what the result is going to be. Yeah, the Supreme. I don't remember exactly how tall this thing is, but it's it's quite large. Yeah, Um, I can't remember if it's 90 years ago or 90 feet tall, but but right. So so assume both. It's large. It's it's 90 feet tall and from 90 years ago. Right. right? Assume both of those things. Right. Um, It's not from 90 years. It's a World War One memorial, so it's not quite 90. Correct. And and it's and it's a memorial to persons named at the memorial itself, like their names are on a plaque that's part of the memorial. So it's memorializing specific people. Right. From 90 years ago with a 90 foot tall cross, that thing is not coming down. Uh, I, you know, I don't care that it's public land. Um, uh, Now, maybe you could construct a set of facts. Uh, You know, maybe the town council uh, meets in its shadow daily. Uh, to hold all their official proceedings, right, uh, and that uh, you cannot address the town council until you first walk up and kiss the monument to show your obedience to all that it expresses. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean you can yeah. construct a set of facts where you the the court would be prepared to say the thing had to come down. But, but that's not what would happen. What would happen if they had gone the other way is they would have permitted the town to transfer it to a private entity. Right. Well, that's uh, another. Sure. There's another. Which, which what has would you its do own about thing. About like, the fact like, that it, it, what, what the I'm purpose saying of transferring is, would be to keep the cross up, which is itself a religious. But so you you still get you don't totally escape the right. religious. And you're now part. saying how do you respond to the fact that they've held that it's in its current instantiation unlawful? I'm what I'm saying if they is did, yeah. it wouldn't they they're not going to conclude. I, that. I agree. Um, and so given that they're not going to conclude that, um, to to try to find a way to synthesize both the fact that. Lemon has not been a comprehensively and consistently and straightforwardly applied test or principle or standard for deciding establishment clause case because it hasn't been right. Mm-hmm. Um, given that it hasn't been, and given that <laughs> that issues of entanglement, issues of coercion, uh, are quite significant, and given that the court routinely splits five four on these questions. In 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 various monument contexts, holiday display contexts, here is basically seven two. Uh, other contexts that that the what the majority came two? up I'm with, sure. I thought, yeah. was quite a reasonable way to thread the needle. All the more surprising uh, that it's that it's fairly calm uh, and reasonable stuff is comes from the pen of Justice Alito. Well, Justice Alito has gotten a lot of praise for this opinion, at least as I've seen it, and and I, I including I, from Justice Kagan. Yeah, and I, uh, I think it was wasn't it Ginsburg who dissented. Ginsburg dissented, I believe, but I think Justice Kagan in her concurrence and the concurrence, yeah, yeah, praised right. the calmness of. Yeah, the I think it was the concurrence saying that that she wouldn't jettison Lemon. Now I'm getting things confused in yeah, my to, head. To the same degree. To or, the same or, degree, although yeah. she hesitate, you know, just wants to be a little careful about it. But right. on the other hand, she reads the opinion is also being careful about that. So yeah, um, reinforcing I, it as a pragmatic. It just the, threading of the uh, needle. Interesting. Alito's opinion seems like the perfect like briar vehicle, right? Because it's it's this like it kind of grapples. It attempts to grapple with the pragmatics yeah. directly rather than in an obfuscatory way, right? And I think that's one of the reasons it's gotten a lot of praise, at least as I've read people so far. I mean, not entirely, and I want to talk about that in a second because there there are parts of this that really bother me. Mm. Um, but but the sen- but it's uh, I think the merits are you know acknowledging that this is a religious symbol which is not welcome to everyone and yeah. that this is a hard case and that um, that is probably only through kind of the washing of this through time that makes it acceptable now right. and you know you have to 
and that coping well, with coping with the conclusion that it's unlawful would itself present genuine problems of the sort this provision is designed to to grapple yeah, with. Yeah, except the problem is, that, you know, um, a concern about a majoritarian backlash, right? An, an unwillingness to kind of, well, so, so the pragmatic side of that would be that it would inflame kind of sectarian conflict, right? But pragmatically, what we know is it would be a bunch of Fox News style yeah, pieces that's not, inflaming that's the, religious majorities' concerns that their country is being taken away from them. That is not quite the point I was making. Uh, I I don't know that I disagree with that as a descriptive matter. But the but the the notion that um, that removing things is sends its own message potentially, and that that's a thing that is worth being concerned about. If you think you're dealing with a constitutional provision that is, in very deep senses, about message sending, yeah, which is how the Establishment Clause is being interpreted, right? Is entanglement and coercion is about message sending, yeah. So it seems to me reasonable to say, well, let's think about all the messages in both directions. If if concluding that it can't remain will set will create its own set of concerns it seems to me that's a thing to think about legitimately a thing to think about i i i agree and, i agree and it, it is simply to to go to the sense in which there are no good there are no easy nice convenient clean easy answers here uh yeah it, it's the it's it's this almost like um i think jay wexler um Prof up, at, I think at BU, who's who's done some great law and religion work, and um, has a new book out. Um, he, wrote, I think he wrote a piece. Was it in Time or Newsweek? I forget exactly. Um, maybe, maybe I'll try to find it. I, I mean, I remember the two of our discussions about removing Confederate monuments and the, yeah. the 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 very the the degree to which I think that would be a good idea to the degree that I do think it would be a good idea is all about the fact that I think it sends messages to remove things. Well, so so uh, Jay Jay Wexler's point was similar to the one I made. Um, back um, with Justice Scalia's dis, um, opinion in um, what was it was it, or a concurrent I forget which one it was I think it was the um, one of the Voting Rights Act cases right where the the um, he used the fact that it was like ninety nine zero in the Senate like against the law right that that somehow it was it was difficult to come out against the Voting Rights Act because of the backlash you would get and i called this post like footnote negative four right which is the supreme court is there <laughs> to to kind of back up the majority against yeah. uh, that was it or was that an opinion or an oral argument i can't remember I now forget, it's, I it may have been an oral argument yeah, it, it certainly occurred at oral argument so but, 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 but this right. is so this is this is this kind of thing right that that in order to protect the sensibilities of majorities uh the supreme court ratifies keeping up this cross and again you could uh, uh, I think I'm making a different point. I think it's not about protecting sensibilities. It's about the if if the if the clause requires a, a level of neutrality, both among faiths and the and the neutrality between the presence or absence of any faith at all. That th- that is the neutrality is an inference that members of the public make based on the behavior of yeah. the state. But see, neutrality always has, an, has you know, it implies a certain baseline. Because sure. we live upon the earth with, you know, fixtures and structures and, 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 and social structures into which we are born, right? right? And 
so neutrality is is a construct that we create, which yeah. has a notion of fair play and even handedness, and we can invent, we can come up with some principles which maybe seem more enduring than than what we were born into. But you know, we do kind of grow in, you know, we do live on and work in, and work within cities and towns, which you know, which were there before we were, right? Yeah, and so, um, so appealing to neutrality you know, without acknowledging the baseline can be somewhat difficult, right? I mean, you can run into some quick right. difficulties, right? And, 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 and so... And I wouldn't... And I myself, personally, would never recommend urging someone to be neutral, but please don't ever mention a baseline or a background. I wouldn't do that. Right. Um, well, the baseline here, right, is, you know, there were a lot of buildings and structures and things and decisions and and oaths and um, and pledges, which were created at a time when, you know, justices were writing about how we were a Christian nation, and it was assumed that you know, okay, so maybe there are a few Jewish people, you know, um, and maybe even a few Muslim people, um, uh, but but basically we're a Christian nation, um, and if a lot of things are built, memorialized, written with that assumption. And they become old, and we say, okay, old things have you know th- that those meanings have. What is the opposite of transmogrify to become less monstrous and become <laughs> and, <laughs> transbeautified, right, uh, in, in, into something which is more secular and more acceptable and not as threatening? Uh, then they're ratified and okay, but new things would not be. So, so we we, we have a, a a nation of you know cross-bearing memorials. But you couldn't put up a new memorial celebrating some other religion. So, because the normal, I think, constraint or the normal break on the the uh, state legislature opening its grounds to religious displays is that the Satanists are going to come in, mm. right? Right. And so, so there will be the Baphomet statue offered by um, the Church of whatever, right? right. And, um, and, and, and the, and the primarily the... Christian legislators like want that, right? Uh, even even less than they want nothing, right? <laughs> right? And so they end up closing down the public square to religious displays because of the necessity of equality. Or, so or my one say, concern here, you right? Might say to close it down to new ones. Yes, right? Because there might be in, in that location, there might be some ninety-year-old or one-hundred-year-old thing. Well, right? of course, that's my that's exactly my concern. Right? Right? Is is uh, the rule here seems to be that like new religious stuff going up is not going to enjoy the same presumption of constitutionality as old religious stuff that went up and may have been washed in the in the acid of time right. of its religious significance. Or if not totally, I, I think Alito's is a much better opinion than we've seen in the past about about this. Like because the fiction has always been, oh, you know, the 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 in God we trust doesn't have any religious significance at all, which you know seems crazy when the people advocating for it very strongly, uh, it, they do so exactly because they see religious significance. And, like, and, and the opinion is much more realistic with how, how it grapples with these things. But yeah. it, You're right. The best proof of it's lacking any religious significance would be that no one would have litigated it. Exactly. No, but, one, but, no one would care whether it stays or goes. But because it's being litigated, that, in, that refutes that assertion. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think it's good to leave that assertion behind because it's silly. Right. So we have People, left, people I, want I think, it to stay up for religious reasons. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a tricky case because a Supreme Court program of monument removal would be difficult to imagine. And this is why, you know, one of the um, – is the word shibboleth? Shibboleth. Uh, yeah. 
in this case is that the suggestion that maybe we could just cut the two arms off the cross. Did you see that in the case? No, I don't remember seeing that. Yeah, so Alito mentions that, and I think the dissent mentions it again as something which just came up as a as a possibility. We could cut the two arms off, and then it would just be an obelisk, and that would satisfy everyone. Which, of course, it has this like you know, can you imagine taking a cross and cutting the arms off? It seems very like anti-Christian, right? You, it could a person could perceive it yeah. that way, yes. But as someone who is not a Christian, okay, um, one of the things that that bothers me about these analyses written by religious people is Christian people is, you know, anytime is the taking for granted that, well, this doesn't really have anything to do with my religious practice. This is just history and it doesn't really bother anybody. You know, when that's written, you know, and the only, you know, I think Ginsburg is the one dissenting here, yeah. right? And who is Jewish. And I believe she's joined by Justice Sotomayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's not a taking seriously enough the degree to which these monuments and especially you know town of greece we had a show about that and i yeah and i, I think thought that, that was way more wrong <laughs> than this decision was uh, uh, and and i and i agree that i think it was <laughs> i thought that one was super wrong mm-hmm. um agreed. i even might have gone along with this one like this is a yeah. i think a, 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 a kind of a tough and close case yeah um but it doesn't take seriously enough the degree to which Christian symbology in, uh, in government functioning sends a message about who insiders and outsiders are. I think that's, uh, I think that's right. Uh, that, well, I think it's right that it has to take it, that, that the way you approach these things should take that very seriously. Um, I, but I think it's also the case that it, it can't be that the only proof that you're taking it seriously is that the challenger wins. Right. So, right. so I think, um, you know, well, that's why this is a tough case. I think town of Greece, Greece was a much easier case. Um, it went the wrong way, but it was a much easier case on these grounds because they, they could stop that practice at any time. And, you know, yeah. there are other ways to solemnize the beginning of a civic now, function. Right? It would have been so, you know, in imagine a hypothetical where. Um, you know, the, a case, the case is, uh, it's the same as this one, except in addition, uh, a- after the concern of members of the public in the community that the, this perhaps suggested a kind of exclusionary message, mm-hmm. um, that the people in the town said, you know, that's that you're, you're right. It could send that message. Uh, maybe it would be a good idea for us to, uh, erect nearby this other monument to, other people who uh, from this community or from nearby communities or just people in general of other faith traditions who also died uh, in World War One. Um, and that, so so the you had current information that the public authorities in this place were trying now to communicate actively trying now to communicate that they didn't want to send an exclusionary message, right? And that further, if the court, when confronted with this challenge, relied heavily on that fact to hold that this was okay, right? That that putting up other expressions that help convey, that, that take the sting out of the exclusion from 90 years ago in a way that is helpful yeah. today 
it could actually be a way to encourage people to do that. Like, I think that, yeah, like, I would like that. I guess. I, guess, I don't know. I, I but, feel but like... But it can't be that the only way you know for sure that they've been, that they've taken seriously enough the, the fact that some people in the community feel like it sends an exclusionary message is that those people win. No, I don't. I don't think so. That's why I think this is a hard case because because I feel like driving you know a very old cross every day or going by it or having it around and it's clearly a memorial would not send that message to me. Like I wouldn't feel that. Like I would having every town of Greece meeting open with a different kind of Christian right. prayer. Basically, I mean, it wasn't in everyone. It was complicated, but like right. you know what it was. Um, and uh, so I don't feel like it would do that. And in fact. It wasn't until I think a lawsuit and then a bunch of people rallying behind the, you know, it's the lawsuit which and the controversy which then causes people to rally behind it, which then exposes the fact that people are trying to send that message to you. Right. And so, you know, that's why the pragmatics of it maybe indicate let's shut down all these lawsuits about old monuments. And that (laughs) don't bring them to us. For me, like I hear about these cases and this says, I'm, I'm about to say something about me. No, please do. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That like I can't really imagine being on either side of this thing, to be honest. I can't imagine like spending a huge amount of my time being a a litigant who goes around suing people about having these monuments. Nor can I imagine being someone who, you know, goes to the hilt to defend all of them. Well, I I mean, being a litigant is different, but you you, you can't imagine yourself being someone who has a strong view either way, because being a litigant implies an additional level of action. Right. I mean, I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I for one, can't imagine myself having strong views. Now, I'm not there. And well, I don't, about, I don't encounter these, the cross every day. So about I want to be, these things. Yeah. About these expressions. Now, I at the same time, I would say that. What about I, legislative prayer, though? When I hear. Well, see, that's yeah. what that's a, that's seems different to me. Yeah. Um, although, again, it would depend on the circumstance. And if there's a legislative prayer context where there really are. Uh, pastors and ministers um, from all faith traditions actively sought. If there are people who, from various humanist traditions who don't purport to have any faith at all, but they're invited to offer words of solemnity and uh, and a community, I think something like that, I can see myself thinking that yeah. sounds perfectly fine. I, I, um, I, I agree that that would, that would save the town of Greece case had the, had those been the facts although i would maybe and those some, are facts very maybe, far away from what they were actually right. doing and which i think is what i was trying maybe at to some do. point in the future we should grapple with this the the degree to which this kind of like um is it a pipe dream to imagine that you could open up the square and have this uh the town square and have this kind of like all the religions are kind of getting along you know it's your turn now it's my turn and you know we're not antagonistic or anything because um there is something i think which is in in many religions, which is antagonistic toward other religions. I mean, just as a matter of like, you know, they're not compatible. Um, and I, I, it's something I would want to talk about in the future um, yeah. in, on another show because I think there's a lot to an interesting, unpack there. Another interesting hypothetical to think about is, you know, what? so what happens if, you know, tomorrow in a massive thunder and lightning storm, a massive bolt of lightning hits this monument? And knocks one of its arms off. Well, Alito talks about Notre Dame, and and you know, what what would we, what would we countenance? What would we insist on? What would we, you know, because well, it, because it, now you're uh, right. you know it's both old, but but it's being addressed anew. But of course, the thing being addressed anew is the thing that was old. 
Um, so, you know. I thought a compelling part of his opinion was the discussion of Notre Dame. Um, that, you know, a city like Paris, even if committed, as they are, to religious neutrality and, and, and diversity, um, can still value that cathedral, even as it is operationally used in, yep. um, in, in sectarian ways, right? I mean, for religious right. services. And you can imagine the city stepping in to rebuild the cathedral in that case. And that, it, it, which shows just how contextual it is, because right. I would be in favor of rebuilding the cathedral and devoting some public funds to it, right? Even if it will be, in fact, be used by... But you, but you could also see someone taking the position that, um, and and our kind of constitutional provision and its demands are different from, um, and you could argue about which one is stronger, I think, for all kinds of reasons, the French tradition of laïcité, and they, but mm-hmm. of course they have a different constitutional structure. and On, on which we are both expert. <laughs> Um, but, but I could see someone making the argument that, that look, um, p- part of what uh, ensures that the continued presence of this monument does not send a sectarian, an openly sectarian and entangling message of establishment that's contrary to the Constitution is th- the way in which it continues to embody in the present its full history including its establishment in the past. And one of the things that is now part of its history is that it was struck by lightning on that day. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so to begin to try to restore it as if that weren't part of what has happened to it in its history begins to get into the entanglement that we should avoid. So that what it needs to always bear on its face is its full history, including the fact that it underwent this cataclysm. I guess we shouldn't fix it, right? I could see someone standing up and making that argument yeah. that 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 it's more consistent with the theory, with the historical explanation, presence yeah. to not repair it. Well, that's why I think you you have to grapple with the fact that there are some, there may be some monuments, some things in society, which are important to us as a society, a a kind of a a heterodox society right? Um, because of their original religious significance or perhaps even their ongoing religious significance. Like yeah. I'm, I'm open to that idea and we're, you know, I don't think we're going to develop a full theory right now. And H- however, the, well, go ahead. I think the town council in, in my repair hypothetical, um, like should they be moved if it were the, should they be influenced if there were a big fundraising effort in the town that explicitly involved people who are not, Christian or of of any faith tradition actively connected with the existence or maintenance of the monument, that they were, you know, sort of Bladensburg atheists to repair the cross, right? Like if there's a big effort in the public, then they're rallying around repairing it. Should the town council be moved by that? Well, A, I think they would be moved by that. Mm -hmm. B, should they and should that be legally cognizable? I'm, that sounds pretty plausible to me. Actually, it's some pragmatic, because it's pragmatically based evidence that no one is correct. Perceived, perceived as an outsider. We're not sending the inside outside right. message. And if it, if repairing it in fact becomes the occasion that that reinforces inclusivity versus exclusivity, um, then I think you've got to take that into account. 
Yeah, this the least compelling parts of of this opinion and similar type arguments, like around like the Ten Commandments and the discussion how well the Ten Commandments. You know, by the way, they're very important to me because I'm a very religious person who believes in. You know, that's always in there when it's written by someone who is a Catholic or someone right. someone like Alito. And, and um, however, like it's important to everybody. Like every, the Ten Commandments belong to all of us now because they were important foundationally in our law. And it's never clear to me exactly how. I mean, yes, they're important, <laughs> but like they're very broad and and they're there are lots of things which are important, right? And 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 many of the um, many of our founding documents were made by were created by people who, if not themselves, at least were influenced by people who were deeply religious in particular ways. And so I, I get that you know there's a lot of religiosity which is kind of baked into the cake, right? But you know, we have you know you go back far enough, and you know there are certain things which are very important to early primates which are <laughs> baked into the cake, right? So. Um, <laughs> Uh, so it's not everything which was kind of baked in early on is important to to keep up now. But I, but I would say that um, this idea that like as someone who is not a Christian, like I f- have a strong civic feeling about the Ten Commandments and therefore should have no problem with their kind of erection or depiction in um, in various public buildings or the, or the reading of them or what. However, else like that that strikes me as very it strikes me very hollow, right? The t- I have no particular problem. I don't get easily offended by yeah. these things. It's just that like. The, I, I don't think that that when majorities and make these this kind of argument about how minority religious adherents should feel, yeah, that's um, it never feels great, uh, right? And when the and although as I say, I can't imagine myself getting supercharged about this from from the from the point of rest, mm-hmm. um, but once the question gets called, and once it's in the community that this sort of this thing is getting pitted against that thing. And if you make me focus on it and, and decide what I think, yeah, that argument, well, look, I'm, I'm just telling you what you should think, you minority community, because, you know, this is what I really mean. Mm-hmm. Like, that isn't going to cut a whole lot of ice if it's inconsistent with all of the other facts. So I thought that, um, that of all the attempts to write something that could endure, that could be used as a reference point in kind of solving this very difficult to solve problem from the from the institutional perspective of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Like this is one of the smartest things done here, I think, was Sandra Day O'Connor's endorsement test, right? Mm. And the idea of a, you know, what we're trying to stop are civic excommunications. Mm. Like that is like that core idea, I think, does almost all the work you'd want to do with a religious neutrality principle like this. And so I did not appreciate the slamming that it took either from Gorsuch or I, th- I think, and you know, I read this other opinion too, so now I'm even mixing it together. I think also from Alito a little bit, right? That, that, okay. that how it didn't work, right? It wasn't workable. Um, I think it could work, like as much as any other touchstone. I mean, you use Scalia, uh, use uh, Alito's four um, principles here in future cases, and it's going to be a little wishy-washy over time, just like all these other things, because of this ultimately pragmatic pull the court is going to experience, right? Everything is going to be kind of washed out into this difficult to apply thing. Yeah, but maybe, I thought her touchstone at least held out the possibility of saying, okay, you know, you could explain this case on endorsement grounds. And in fact, when we think about like whether we should tear down or transfer ownership of this cross, I think the thing we keep returning, the thing I keep returning to is like, what message is it sending now? Like, what is this, what is its meaning now for us? Right, which is why it's so bothersome when very when the most religiously motivated people rally behind it, because then it starts to take on this endorsing quality, right? Yeah, and and, and so right, maybe it was more sectarian than I realized, because look at right, what's like happening. the under God, like I could totally get behind the idea that it's a blah 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 blah, blah like it's you know that it's just something people say, but the minute that 
that fundamentalists get involved and, and start saying, no, you, you know, we really want you to say this. Um, then I start to say, oh, okay. It, you know, when I say it, it has some meaning to you. And, and so I'm kind of being either coerced or, or, or left out of something if I don't, you know, that, right. so, so that, um, so I thought that was one of the smarter things that the court had done. And yes, it's not rule-based, which is why Scalia hated it. Right. right. But, but it at least I think was, was honest about like what the principle is trying to to do. I think another reason why it might be unappealing to certain members of the court, past and present, is that it it, Hold on, Darcy. it has this um, it has this feel of anti subordination about it, right? Which has this whiff of a place they don't want equal protection law to go, right? And so it it might just be a a way to guard against that. You're sort of trying to buttress everybody against ever getting tempted. Yeah. Down the anti-subordination line of reasoning. Um, so two other things to discuss about this then. Um, quickly. Hold on, Darcy. Um, she's made an appearance. You know, in the early days, she would kind of bark and shake. Mm-hmm. We would hear that a lot. These days, she snores really loudly. I don't know if the mic <laughs> always picks that up. She's not snoring now, though. She's no, awake now she's and up and she's kind of whining. She's wiggling. And... Wants to get on with it. Hmm. Um, so Thomas's opinion... <laughs> I don't know, um, uh, which is like basically the states should be able to establish state churches, right? That this doesn't apply right. against the states at all and is so remarkable. It, 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 and it's interesting that um, in like if if I were to one ground of critique, I think you could make, um, and this is a conversation I haven't been the other day with somebody else, um, not about this case in particular, as so much as sort of some of these broad, uh, constitutional principles. Um, and I think, I think you've mentioned on this show before, um, you know, if anything, the, the, the jurisprudence is, is sufficiently attentive to the way that the f- f- 14th amendment in this instance, although the 13th through the 15th more generally, uh, sort of has to be taken to have transformed this right. first amendment principle in a more equalitarian direction. Right. Um, and so if, if you were to make, if, if I were to make a critique grounded in the 14th Amendment, uh, it, it wouldn't be <laughs> that this isn't incorporated against the states. Instead, it would be that the 14th Amendment's equality principle requires even more of us in properly vindicating yeah. the Establishment Clause's commands than it did before. I mean, there's a, you know... <laughs> You can go through the, the you can go it, through the kind of the standard, um, uh, the the standard kind of an- analysis about this, right? That that if the if the equal protection clause is conceived as a broad, you know, egalitarian principle of some kind, and the due process principle is the libertarian is is the liberty principle between liberty and equality, you can get to all the rights that you want to protect, right? And and they set out in principle form the the kind of the 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 working pieces of creating a jurisprudence of protecting individuals from a from from government and other powerful entities. So like you could go that direction, right? As a formal matter, you know, it is true when you look at, you know, the um the constraints implied in the 14th Amendment, whether it's privileges and immunities or due process or equal protection, that the establishment clause looks more structural than the other rights protections in the first amendment and mm-hmm. in the other rights protecting amendments, right? Because right. it's about like the power to do, you shall not have the power to do this, right? Right. Rather than you shall not have the power to deprive of this, right? right. 
Um, so I get that there could be a formal argument for this, and there's, I'm sure, lots of history in the original history of the First Amendment. It seems to be the protection of state churches from the federal government, but there's a more ambiguous history than, and I don't know it all. Um, and and from, from my way of seeing things, I'm not particularly, like, I'm interested in it. I think it should matter, but to me, it's not at all determinative um, because I think the Equal Protection Clause, as you're saying, um, imp- imposes some strong structural constraints on what government can do. In a context where it, it not only uh, importantly uh, provides rights against state governments rather than only rights against the national government, which is, is a thing you could observe about the difference, for example, between the Fifth Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment, um, and its due process clause. But uh, it 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 creates a new relationship. It it sort of takes the we the people and supercharges it to create a new right. relationship between citizens, the nation, and the state that they live in. In a way that I think transforms huge amounts of what I think, at least, about the rest of the document. And this is um, a huge fault line right now. Is the there's a certain kind of um of 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 libertarian thinking, which is not libertarian at all, in fact, which sees in the the um, sees in some federal constitutional protections or some federal actions a deprivation of my liberty to with a majority of uh, my liberty with a majority of my fellow state residents to enact commands on on minorities. Right, that that, that somehow is a displacement. I. I think we've talked about it on the show before. There's this thing that sticks out in my mind. You remember the super, um, the supersize me guy. Um, the, remember that uh, documentary, the guy who. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did a show, and um, that was kind of in that same vein. But he would like get people together who disagreed vehemently about something, and I, I forget what they all were. But one that sticks in my mind was uh, a, a Mormon woman from Utah who lived with a uh, a gay male couple in I think Minnesota somewhere or something like that for a while, and and over time, like. She saw how what amazing parents they were and what great people they were, but still in the end could not be convinced that uh, gay marriage should be legalized. And she felt like and she felt attacked. She felt like it was her right, like somehow her rights were being infringed by forcing upon her the idea that she couldn't like support (laughs) um, laws against gay marriage. Right. There's this inversion of uh, of of what you think libertarianism is or what one's own liberty is. Right. It's it's my liberty to um, enact. If I have a majority support. Yeah. To like get, laws that, you know, to get the state's plan of coercion to match my preferences. Yeah. And not yours. Right. And so somehow, you know, this is and, and, and there's a little bit of, of that in this, I think. Right. That, that this is how we feel attacked here, that like despite being a majority, we can't put up a cross. Despite being a majority, we can't have a state church. Right. Um, and so the, the language of liberty is, is used by majority. And this is what's so frustrating about the, the footnote negative four point, right? It's when, it's when the Supreme Court comes in and reinforces, right? Yeah. The power of majorities to resist, um, uh, uh, to resist minorities. Um, even if what they're resisting is, you know, only criticism. So but, are we going to talk about the takings case today or have we well, run uh, out of one time? more, one more, one more Gorsuch's what? opinion. Oh. This is the offend rejecting the the so this is the most direct attack on O'Connor's endorsement test. This mm. is the offended observers do not have standing. 
which I think is a really tough thing to write as a Protestant, uh, right? I mean, it's like... Yeah, I'm going to... So, True Confessions, Yeah, I spent very little time, which is to say, effectively, to a first approximation, no time, um, on the descent. I do... Uh, excuse me, on the Gorsuch thing. I do... Um, I did see someone talk about the idea and glanced at the idea that there isn't standing here. Yeah. Um, and because that struck me as uh, both sort of intriguing in the sense that, yeah, we don't have a generalized grievance or taxpayer standing, generally speaking. Except al- in although, establishment clause right, cases. Exa- right. Although we have this special rule flashed against Cohen and taxpayer standing in the establishment clause context. So, so what Joe's referring to... So we're bumper carring yeah. around in the in the stare decisis space again. Right. So so um, what Joe's referring to is that just the general principle, at least in federal courts, that in order to bring a case, you have to show that you've been injured. And you've been injured in a concrete way that the court could could actually redress. Um, uh, so it, there's a little bit more to it, but that's basically it, right? right. And, and, the, and your in injury way, has to be different from everyone. A way that distinguishes you from, from, the, from everybody the else. Of the mill person. Right. So yeah. you can't just bring a lawsuit saying, hey, someone in some agency somewhere is breaking a law and that offends me because I don't like law breaking. Like you can't, you don't have standing because you can't show that that law breaking affects you in some in some concrete way. And it doesn't have to be that you've lost money, but it has to be in a in a direct way where you can show that, that your suffering is kind of different from just the general, you know, busybody who's worried about law breaking. And an exception to that requirement of special injury or uh, uh, concrete injury is in establishment clause cases because yeah. it's hard to, you know, the state puts up a cross on the state capitol and I am not a Christian and I bring suit and like I have to show that I've been, if, if, sta- if ordinary standing requirements applied in federal court, I would have to show that like I was somehow injured in a way which is different from others. And maybe one way is that like, I show that I'm not a Christian in the sense of an exclusionary message, but Gorsuch would require more than that. He would say that the fact that you are offended as an observer is not a concrete injury that would um, that would give you standing. The upshot of this, as far as I can tell, is that for displays, right, for, basically for any state actions um, about uh, es- establishing religion other than coercion, so if, you know, if the state passed a law forcing you to go to church on Sundays, Right. Right. Or that required you to say a prayer yeah. or maybe even that required you to stay to to um, uh, uh, to remain in silence while other people led a prayer in school. Like so maybe those are going to be you could show that there's some standing there because you were forced to be in that situation. Right. right? So and it, it, yeah, presumably presumably um, if under the Gorsuch rule, if, if one were a vampire uh, and the sight of the cross actually causes the skin to begin to blister. I suppose that person would have um, a, a quite specific... Well, are they more than an offended observer? Yeah. And that, that, I think um, offended observer is the term that he uses. But, but yeah, the, for, for, for non-vampires uh, who, who don't have skin that begins to blister at the side of a cross... Uh, yeah. I would love to talk... You know, um, you know, Neil, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the show. Um, but this seems to me absolutely nuts and outrageous. Um, uh, say more. Well, um, it's harder to, it's, it's difficult to imagine, a uh, um, a, I mean, yes, it is true. The coercion cases are worse. If I'm impressed into state service to lead some kind of liturgical, you know, ritual kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. But it's hard to imagine like, um, something which is actually conceivable that the state could do, um, 
which would be a more which would be more injurious to our our kind of uh, the, you know the the principles of equal treatment and the government is for all of us than the government being able to put a cross on the state capitol and like am i going to feel welcome going to the, you can imagine crosses everywhere right you can imagine sure. like pre, you know all, priests at the door or or pastors at the door what have you right. um prayers of all kinds going on you know maybe several hours of prayer before the hearing commences yeah. at which you know um, and I guess you could know, know maybe there's a um, so the middle position might be well if if we keep a a taxpayer lens we we could identify look if if you can show a public expenditure but you could do that in the cross case that's here. ongoing right but that and might and maybe that would be I, it's not enough for him because it doesn't distinguish you from anybody else so tax well, that's what I'm saying yeah. you have to ha- you'd you'd have to be willing to on presidential grounds say that we're going to continue to use this rule that in the Establishment Clause context, there is something like taxpayer standing. Uh, this old case, Flast against Cohen, which I believe that's what it held. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because if you don't have that, then you really, like if you can't challenge it either on an expenditure ground, um, if you can't challenge it on an expenditure ground, then you're right. Everything becomes, who could possibly challenge it? Right. I mean... A legislator who lost a vote in favor of the practice, presumably they can't challenge it. You're just relitigating the fact that you guys voted on it and you lost. And right. That seems unsavory, right? Um, and, but, and, and it's just, but it's like a, you know, one of the most central principles of our open democracy is that gov- our government is for everyone. Our government is us, right? right? And, 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 and it actually is, feels like a mistake when people talk about the government as if it's someone else. Like, no, I want you to take ownership of this. I want you to feel right. like this is, this is yours, right? It's hard but, to imagine that, that view of standing, could, it's hard to imagine something at a further remove from Justice Kagan's descent in town of Greece mm-hmm. and what it got right. Right. Yeah, I, I, I because agree. Because her dissent in that case is predicated entirely on the vision. That but it's also just... totally consistent with, you know, I don't know what his view is of the merits. Maybe it was in there. I don't know. But um, uh, that I guess you could believe that there's no standing for, quote unquote, offended observers, which I think only someone who is like not actually offended. Right. So like it, it kind of downplays like what it says to you as a citizen when you see, you know, lots of religious symbols from another religion confronting you when you are going maybe in a vulnerable situation, maybe walking into a courtroom, right? And you're trying to make your case for why you should be treated well. Um, I don't think it fully grasps what the psychological effect of that is, right? And and what the... And and it and it you know it feels you know it it feels like it's just downplaying this kind of it's like a screw your feelings kind of attitude like you're feel you know none of this touchy feely right. you know 1960s nonsense we're dealing with hard facts here and you have to show that you actually suffered a real injury and you know I, I don't know what they think government is other than a bunch of people sharing their feelings about stuff <laughs> right and <laughs> if I go into a courtroom. We, now, it may, maybe he'd have a different view if you were a criminal defendant having to walk by a bunch of um, uh, of religious symbols. Right. I don't know. But um, that was just I, – I didn't – can you well, tell? And it certainly – like textually speaking, I mean I, I suppose his approach might make more sense if the, if the prohibition were on um, – if the constitutional provision said – that that uh, the state can't coercively establish a church, 
Yeah. Because then you'd be then there would be the suggestion that what what the framers were seeking to deal with was a problem strictly a problem of coerced behavior or compliance. Yes. As as a matter it, of constitutional law. As opposed yeah. to when you say establish a church, well, a great deal of establishing a church is not going to involve coercing people to do anything. Right. And nevertheless, we would all be perfectly clear that a church had been established. So and if we're I, just going to approach it yeah. in that sort of straightforward way, we would think the standing thing you're suggesting is a bit too cramped. And if the Constitution were written, as you said, I would be the first to argue that it needs to be written in this other way. Right. I, I just think it's at the center of, of free government in a world of diverse religious experience that people all feel like they're insiders regardless of religion. Like that there's no us versus them symbolized by, uh, you know, by, 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 you know, in religious symbols right. um, or words. And so if I had my preference, we would kind of, you know, um, I don't know, these old crosses, I think it's a hard case. Those could stay up and on kind of monument style grounds. I'm not in favor of extirpating all of our history or anything like that, but you know, and God we trust on the dollar bill. I don't know. Is that old enough? It's easy enough to change. Um, but if, you, if you're inside, if you're inside the dominant religion, it just doesn't feel like that big a deal to you. Right. Like, you know, you, you, so you, if you have hurt feelings, it's kind of your fault. You're too, like, I don't think about, I don't think about my religious experience when I look at the dollar bill, they might be thinking. But that's because they're in it. it you know, it affirms their majoritarian Right. worldview in ways that become invisible. And so, you know, we're, we do run up against the conundrum that, uh, and, and so w- in a world where we, the, in God we trust is taken off the currency and we're still trying to make sure that there's inclusion and not exclusion and that there is, that there's not exclusion on sectarian grounds. Yeah. Hold on, Darcy. Is there, is there a, what do you say to the person who says, well, now I'm being excluded on sectarian grounds because I am of this faith tradition and I don't see that faith tradition reflected on the currency in the way that it used to be. Yes, and that's that that majoritarian rights thing that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Right, that like I should have a right to um, to use state coercion and state coercive tools to reflect my deepest beliefs. But it's not, see, it's not, it's not quite that, right? Because it's not, it's not coercion to simply have the thing printed on the dollar, right? That it's, it's a, it's, it's sort of, it's about the furniture, which actually yeah, most but, people but, would prefer not to think about most of the time. people of minority faiths, right, are, don't, don't have the, you know, they, they can't force their way onto like other dollar bills. <laughs> well, this is my point though. Yeah. That you, if, if you, if you leave it there or if you take it off it, there, I think there are things to be reckoned with in both directions. Maybe that's part of what makes these cases hard cases. Now you might ultimately conclude that the thing to be reckoned with in the second direction simply has to yield. But, um, but it's not that there's nothing there. Hmm. I think. Yeah. It's I, just that I, I think that I have a, so I'm, I'm neither an atheist nor an agnostic, really. And I, I feel like my, and I kind of used to be agnostic, I think. And, um, and I feel like my feeling about this has changed a little bit. Um, and because, uh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to get to the inclusion exclusion Yes, I, but I, I feel like that feels different. Because um, 
a lot of it has been uh, a, a lot of the discussion among at least some academics has been the religion versus non-religion angle of this, right? Trying to force religion in general, but it, but right. members of like minority religious groups, I think the the offended observer thing feels different than you know than it does for an atheist, right? Who doesn't take a religious offense, right? The, the the nature of the offense you take is not religious when you're an atheist and you see a cross up on the state capitol. You, you feel you feel civically excommunicated, as O'Connor put it. Mm. But if you are a Jewish person and you see a cross up on the state capitol, you see both a civic excommunication, but you also feel this kind of religious, you know, um, antagonism, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's in your face, right? I mean, the right. people want it there. So I, I feel it, it, this is, we're not going to do all this. I feel like we should have like a law and religion person on there or, or you know, religious philosopher. Or, I don't know. We, I feel like we should explore this more. Okay. I'm, I'm getting that antsy feeling like there's so much I want to say and I'm going to screw it up if mm. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. I do know um, what you mean. I but I have to say this one, one other thing. Uh, it's so strange to me that, that Gorsuch's position here would be that I don't care what, that whatever the Establishment Clause says, basically there are a whole class of constitutional violations that no one can remedy. Right. Right? And then the lurch to try to... Well, the remedy is politics. The re- well... That you go, like, people in their towns will vote in, right. in the way that they do, and, that, and if you don't like the way the town's being run, vote for... Yeah, um, just... For Get together with minority religions and vote in God we trust off the currency. Should be so I'm just saying. Just it's log not that roll there's, it. Just log there's roll no it. remedy. I get it. Yeah, I get, like it. I get it's it. The, it's the Tenth Amendment approach of like it's look. This Senate has people from different states. Politics takes care of Tenth Amendment concerns. National League of Cities against us three. But, but this. Alone. So what's interesting to me is this other case, which we are not going to talk about because I think we're out of time. We are. Is this uh, Nick versus Township of but Scott? We're going to talk about it on the future. Occasion. Yeah, this is the takings case. Yes. Right where. Um, uh, where he signs on to an opinion which says, you know, there's a constitutional violation. It must be vindicated immediately in federal court. <laughs> right. Against a, uh, against a backdrop of lots and lots of precedent uh, explaining for quite sensible reasons why that isn't so. Uh, so not only is it does, must, must it be remedied immediately in federal court, mm-hmm. we're going to burn down a whole lot of stuff to get there. Yeah, and, and I think Justice Roberts does a, a, a fair bit to try to say that that the rule is consistent with precedent. Um, but I, I just think he doesn't get it right. I mean, uh, so, so the takings clause um, is the one that says, you know, the, the government can't, um, this is my area. I should nor know. Exactly. Property be taken without, 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 without just compensation. It's for the, pu- the nor part. Taken for public purpose. I kind of always want to pair it though with the due process clause, which immediately precedes it. And I think without which it's harder to understand, right? Mm. Cause you can't be deprived of life, liberty or property without due process of law, semicolon, mm. nor shall private property be taken. Uh, without just compensation. And and so it's a weird kind of right because you don't have a right not to have your property taken, right? The, the government can come and take your property and use it as an airport, as an airport yeah, right? It, they, they can do it, that. It, indeed, it everyone agrees in this area, like mm-hmm. doctrinally and, and jurisprudentially, everyone agrees. You, you absolutely can't stop that from happening yeah, the only, as a private person. The only real debates here... Are, uh, What's a public concern, purpose? Concern whether, you know, for what purposes can government take? Uh, how much does it have to pay if it takes? And then what activities that it, um, what kinds of things that government does constitute taking? Right. Yeah. Those are the three big kind right. of debates here. 
Um, but everyone agrees that if government wants to build an airport, they can come and take your property. And if you think about it at all, you would see why that pretty much has to be the case. Otherwise, you would get people holding out yeah. not for the value of their own property or what they'd sell it for in the market, but like for some portion of the value of the airport. Right. And that's we can't we can't have a civil society that way, yes. right? So, um, so, so everyone agrees that government can take property, and all the clause does is give you a right to be cashed out of your property, right? Just compensation. And we can argue yeah. about how much compensation As is just. As opposed to a background rule where cashing you out would be entirely a matter of legislative grace. Right. There would still be a sovereign who could take, but mm-hmm. you wouldn't get compensated. Right. Which is the, which is the background rule of English law, mm-hmm. as I recall. It would be a matter of legislative grace. Correct. So, yeah. Uh, so, and in, in the, so there was a lot of kind of... So saying that there's yeah. compensation is a big step up. Right. Even in the context where you say, look, it's going to happen. Right. You can't stop it. Right. <laughs> no doubt about it. It's going to happen. So this, You're going to get paid, though. This case, which we'll come back to. Huge step up. The entire case here involve, it comes down to the question of uh, when... And have where? your constitutional rights been violated yeah. when government takes property? And where can you go to get that? And Chief Justice Roberts so. says that the moment your property is taken, unless you have a check in hand at that moment, there is a constitutional violation because there's been a taking of property for some duration without just compensation. So the compensation must either be paid before or at the same time as the taking. And In order to remove their... Being a cause of action. In order for there not to be a constitutional violation. Yeah. And there is a federal statute, 1983, familiar to most people, uh, which gives uh, uh, people a federal cause of action that they can bring in federal court. If a state level actor. If a state actor violates your constitutional rights. Yeah. And of course, this is subject to qualified immunity, which I want to talk about with uh, and all kinds of other uh, issues. And so the question is, can, can the, if, uh, if, so... Suppose my town um, changes the zoning ordinance. Yeah, because this is in a regulatory takings context. Well, that, this that's, case is, and this the Williamson is the whole, case is too. This is the whole problem, right? So originally, uh, it looks like some good historians showed that uh, um, the takings clause... Um, um, it's about taking title. It's about <laughs> condemning... Yes, it's about condemning ordinary condemnations of property, the use of right. eminent domain. We're going to take your property and we're going to build an airport, right? So there's no question about whether a taking has happened, right? It's like they've come in, they've condemned the property. And then in the early part of the 20th century, Justice Holmes, in a case called Pennsylvania Coal, finds a, a taking not when property has been condemned, but when there is a regulation that, to use his terminology, goes too far. Yeah, meaning that it restricts your retained rights as a landowner kind of too much. Now, what is too much? Well, the court has worked for 100 years to try to figure <laughs> this out. And the, and the best um, kind, of, kind of the best effort at this really is a standard created in the um, Penn Central right. case involving the... Now, it is in hilarity that, uh, and, uh, and therefore, from what you've just said, one might fairly conclude that the originalist view of this ought to be that uh, there are no regulatory takings. Well, so so to to his and credit, so Justice Thomas you... has has acknowledged maybe we should take a look at that, which is you know um, not exactly the conservative position to take on. But takings. and it would be a way to say, look, the, the reason this case is a, is a is a non-starter uh, isn't because uh, you know they they should have been able to sue in federal court under Section 1983 and were stopped from doing so on the ground they hadn't gone to state court first, which is the Williamson 
case mm-hmm. holding, um, but rather because um, there is no such thing as a regulatory taking. Yeah. Now, so you're not you'd be out of state court and federal court and any court at all because this isn't a legal wrong. This wouldn't. That uh, would be the original view. It, seems it would to be the original view. It just it's it wouldn't be the view that I would take. I, although I think the better view is that these kinds of like regulations that go too far. Um, probably violate the due process clause. They probably deprive you of property without due process of law. And I would address Mm. them that way. But of course, the anti-substantive due process, people aren't going to do that. And so just like in Kelo, (laughs) they're going to read in constitutional rights into the takings clause that don't really exist. Yeah. Right. There's nothing in key. There's nothing in the, there's nothing in the takings clause, uh, read read in the takings clause stuff that doesn't exist. So there's nothing in the takings clause saying that you can't take for private purposes, right? That's why we will be talking about this case later as an actual topic of conversation, yes. unlike today when we're not talking about it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So my only point with that, to tee this up as a preview, as a kind of teaser, right, is that this case is difficult precisely because in a large class of cases, no one knows at the time a regulation goes into effect whether it's a taking. There will be clear cases. Right. There will be uh, clear cases that it's a taking, clear cases that it's not a taking, and there are a whole bunch of cases in between. So your local your your local city council passes a new zoning ordinance saying that you uh, can't build uh, higher than 50 feet, and it used to be 100 feet, right? And so you can still do a lot of stuff on your land. Right. Um, there are some things you... There's some things you now can't do. Right. And maybe your property is less valuable as a result. Maybe right. in some places it's more valuable because the property value goes yeah. up because everyone's restricted. And maybe you can show that particular purchasers, when they purchased, were counting very much on the fact that they would be able to go up to 100 feet, et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe you could actually show that no one had any thought about that at all. So we, and then the enormous wisdom in, and it's, and it is a, a wisdom that has an eerie facet to it, which is why, you know, I think about it. And eerie in the, in the, uh, eerie railroad versus Pennsylvania. Correct. Uh, the, uh, I think the enormous wisdom in the Williamson case that's been overturned in, uh, Nick against Scott Township, uh, is, and Justice Kagan talks about this in, in her dissent, although she doesn't talk about it in this precise way. Um, but the amount of state and local law that, that these takings claims, especially regulatory takings claims, which yeah. these are, right, are going to turn on, suggests that a place to go to sort this out with the help of the central expositors, in fact, the definitive and authoritative expositors of state law is state courts, Mm -hmm. which is where Williamson put these cases. Now, that to me is an insight that is eerie related, right? The rules of decision, I think the court has opened an enormous rules of decision act problem in the middle of this this. takings litigation, which no one talks about in this case. I haven't thought about this, no. But it is a huge problem. I don't know if it's a huge problem or not. I, I, you got to think about that. It seems to me it is. Babe. Go uh, well uh, it, under under the existing rules. So so the whole problem is. Uh, well, I keep saying the whole problem because there are layers to this, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a multi layered dip. But the problem for Chief Justice Roberts is it comes from this case, San Remo, and the upshot is that Williamson County requires you to do two things. One is non controversial, and that is that you have to exhaust your remedies with the. Um, exhaust your, the process that the city, for example, provides. And so, for example, you know, if if the zoning code says that you can get a variance, meaning I can go to them and show that there, there would be hardship complying with this ordinance right. in a to particular way. To bring a claim you didn't that, ask for right. the variance seems premature. So, so I don't actually have a decision from them yet. Right. Right. Um, th- th- so, yes, you have to do all those things before you go. There's been no constitutional violation until you've actually tried to see whether they'll give you permission. 
Um, but what you don't have to do now is go to state court and invoke their procedures because they usually have stat. They have many places have the statutes called inverse, inter- inverse condemnation statutes, right. where if you feel like your property's been taken, you have to sue the city in your court to say, "Hey, you have to condemn my property," which means basically compensation, right? right. And um, so, if you do this, you it's not that you're deprived of a federal forum. You just have to go to the state supreme court and then and then apply for cert. And along the way. The, the many, many questions of state law that are probably implicated by your theory of the case will have been adjudicated by the state courts, which are the authoritative interpreters of state law. So, so the problem was, though, that in, even if you were careful about trying only to raise state law claims yeah. for compensation... In the state same, court, the San uh, Remo uh, res judicata thing is, th- th- is stupid. No, it's not. Um, well, I think uh, it is. But so then, uh, then when you try to go to federal court, right? So you say, okay, I'm going to exhaust. I, I'm going to do what they said I have to do in Williamson County, which is to bring this inverse condemnation claims in state court and try to pursue all my remedies in state court, maybe even applying for cert. Uh, and then I'm going to go to uh, federal court. I'll go to federal district court, and now I've done everything Williamson County says I have to do. But then you get there. And uh, and they say, well, we look at this fair faith and credit statute, which says that we have to, you know, we can't overturn the judgments of, of state courts under particular circumstances, and those circumstances apply here. They've already decided that there is no taking, right? Um, and they found these facts and this, and we have to give credit to those things, and therefore you have no case here. So this is a thing decided, and we're not going to redo that decision in a way, you know, we're not an appellate body for the uh, state courts. And therefore, you really Williams. What the what Williamson County promised was this kind of oasis at the end of going through state courts. <laughs> is it was in fact a mirage, and you get there and you don't have it. So that's a statutory matter. Congress can change that, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. A- and I, but but furthermore, it puts a lot of pressure on this distinction between um, exhausting you know the, the ex- exhausting the decision before the local body and exhausting remedies in state courts. So suppose the state sets up a a a, a, um, a board of taking compensation, and and there's a statute which says that uh, any citizen after applying for a variance, for example, um, who has an uncompensated loss, um, shall apply for compensation to this board, right? And there's, it's an administrative decision by that board. Is that is that a remedy you have to go after, or that you don't have to go after? Has the st- when, when does the constitutional violation occur then? Right. And we're, I'm, something tells me we're going to find out because someone will think of doing that. No, well, they should. I think, I think, I think they should, but, right. um, well, I don't know if they should or not. I, I, but there's, yeah. So the, there are complications given here. that we're not talking about this case yes, today. What, yeah. did, what do we, <laughs> what do we want to say in this moment to sort of wrap up the complications as we're trying to set the table here for well, a future discussion? Yeah. I, so I think, the regulatory takings doctrine resists formalism, right? It resists formal answers because of kind of the, the nature of trying to arrange for compensation where you can't possibly do it mechanically, right? Um, yeah, the whole thing's predicate. The very, the very first case, this Pennsylvania coal against Maine case that you mm-hmm. referred to earlier, the Justice Holmes case, it's, it's predicated on the idea that formalism is inadequate. Right. Because the formalist answer would be there's no compensation, period, because, because there's no take. Whether they go too condemned. far kind of depends on how much you lost and then how much you kind of have gained reciprocally from right. this thing being in place. And so it's a really kind of a balancing sort of thing. And it's, so it's very difficult to figure out, right? And it resists any kind of like formalization, which 
which is why Scalia's best effort was probably in Lucas, which said that you had an automatic right to compensation for a hundred percent wipeout. Except oh, even that, even that, unless it's based on state background principles correct. of nuisance Raising law. Raising again the state law, right? So, so fuzzy and, and then in T, TRPA, they basically abandoned. They didn't abandon Lucas, but it was really restricted to a very narrow situation that never actually occurs, right? So Lucas is basically a dead letter. And 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 how would he come up with? a rule-based system of compensation. I mean, some states, I think, didn't Oregon try something where, like, you could um, be compensated either in homes or in permits for, like, any deprivation of property value? But, of course, it doesn't work. No matter what you try there, um, because arranging for compensation is so expensive, um, you're just never going to be able to, like, give people dollar for dollar what a regulation is. And nor should you. Like, that's no way to run a civilization, right? (laughs) In a civilization, like, we're all going to have benefits and burdens and... and, um, so since we're not talking about this, I'm not going to go into that fully, other than to say that um, this is a decision which, where the formalism of the, you know, the constitutional violation occurs at the moment of the taking, if, because there hasn't comp- been compensation yet. Like, it, it has an intuitive appeal if one has in mind condemnations where there is no ambiguity about whether there is a taking. Right. But it is an absolute disaster in a world where regulatory, so-called regulatory takings have been jammed into the takings clause. Yes. Because then, so this is a constitutional right of the form of, if they do A to you, they must also do B, right? And in a world where it's always unambiguous whether A has happened, right, we know immediately whether a constitutional right has been violated by observing whether B has occurred. But in a world where the whole problem is figuring out whether they've done A to you, right, there's going to have to be some kind of procedure for figuring that out. Yeah, so the uh, prediction by way of preview which we will talk about at greater length when we actually talk about this case. Absolutely. When we actually talk about the case. Will be, so, so first of all, the, the, the doctrine uh, known as ripeness, mm-hmm. which the court at the beginning of the case explicitly says isn't being addressed here, isn't being adjudicated here. So there's a ripeness thing that we're leaving in place. Nick doesn't object to the continued use of that doctrine. Right. Of course, we're not addressing that doctrine. So ripeness arguments are going to skyrocket. Mm-hmm. Because that's the other bucket in which you can put concerns about, wait, we don't quite actually know yet what's happened. Right. So that, so one prediction, right? If you're a big city, you, you kind of move that inverse condemnation stuff into your local statutes, right? And you, and you have a variance, but then you also have, you know, apply mm, to us for this, right? right? And you, so you, second you, prediction yeah. um, is that there's going to be a, a huge questions about the the upshot of the rules of decision act in the context of this. Now that I've got to hear more about that. I got to hear. Which we'll do when we actually talk about this case. The next time I talk to you in this, in this venue in in world headquarters to record an oral argument. Oh, is the next time I talk to you, there will be a new Tom York album. There will be a new what? Tom York album. Okay. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. That doesn't happen that often. Okay. I'm very excited about it, Joe. Neat. Is there anything else you want to say? Is no. there anything you're excited no. about? Any messages no. in a bottle you want to throw out no. there? You always do this at the end. No. Like we can have a little bit of frivolity. No. You always do this. <laughs> this is the bickering that, that the listener was talking about. Oh, really? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't know who, who the listener thought was irritated with whom. Look, I'm ready for another 18 hours, so you want to keep going. Let's, let's keep going. Why, why not? Let's, let's keep rolling. Let's get Darcy? Gl- to hell with we you. are committed to giving to the listeners that which they most do not want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Darcy, I'm sorry. We could talk about a bunch of stupid Trump stuff. 
you gotta hit you stop yeah i gotta hit stop with that right once you once you say that yeah have you noticed uh, have you noticed i've been angry on twitter you've been yeah oh no i have not i feel like twitter makes me a worse person it makes everyone a worse person but it's not like not like Facebook does. It's like I do it to myself. I go on there like because I follow like I try to follow a bunch of news reporters and I follow a lot of law professors. And this is like a different version of Health Corner. Yeah, it's like social media Health Corner. Yeah, but like I, I see this. I, you can't see the stuff about like the what they're doing to kids in these camps and not like just want to strangle somebody. I agree. That I mean, it's like I feel. it's like outrageous, and, and it's like uh, you know. I, yeah, I. Th- so this whole conversation was a way not to talk about that stuff. Mm, and here you are, because Bite, I feel biting like down on the toothache. Yeah, I, I just, uh, um, it, I mean, it's crimes against humanity. <laughs> there are a bunch of people who should be in jail. So should we have a season two, or should we just stop uh, doing this and go and go march on something? And to, yeah, well, we should definitely should do that. We should do both. Oh, okay. So gotta hit stop listeners i love you thanks for listening to the show we will be back for episode 200 god willing you see what i did there